At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm your co-host, Christopher Mukigana Harrington, joined by my North by Northeast, a North by Northeasterner himself, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston III. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm good. Is uh, I've been thinking about this when we do this intro. Is St. Paul, you're to my south, and, and obviously you're to my west, but are you, are, am I more northern than you on the globe? Uh, I think I'm actually more northern than you. Okay. Um, so then I would be your your south to south east? Oh, Jesus. No, I've never... been saying it wrong this whole time. Well, it looks like, uh, let's see here, is it longitude or latitude I should be looking at? Latitude, probably? Know, the y-axis or the x-axis, I don't know. I'm at 44... Point nine five three seven degrees north and ninety three point oh nine degrees west. Mm. So the northern one is forty four point nine five for me, and then for you the latitude is forty three point one five six six north. So I think I am more northernly than you. Okay. So I do think you are to my southeast technically. Okay. So uh, so I am to. So you've been saying it wrong this whole time. So I'm to the south. Well, did you know the origin of why we give the location of the person uh, that we're speaking to? No. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely, you're definitely to myself. I just looked at an actual map. I'm definitely more northern than you. That must have been what it it was. I looked at a map one day. Yeah, yeah. It shows shows my my strength on geography here, which was not something that they taught me very well in Greece public schools. But, um, no, when I did Indeed Wrestling Weekly, um, sometimes my host would actually be in the same room as me. And so we would say, like, to my right or to my easterly direction, and we would refer to the person. Then later when we started doing it on on, um, Skype, for whatever reason, my co-host insisted on always using cardinal directions to describe where I was. So I just just took that on as part of our our shameless ripping off of other podcasts that we enjoyed. Who's your co-host? My co-host at the time was um, was Zip Whittle and T.C. Watts. 
And uh, there's a picture. If you go to indeedwrestling.blogspot.com, you'll see this, the masks. You'll pick. You'll see a picture of two guys wearing masks, yeah. and uh, that was me and my co-host at the time. We're holding a giant fish. Uh, so yes, that is a. Uh, that was my co-host from the time. I was at Whittle. He was T.C. Watts, and we had a whole array of other people, Biff Cheddarhead and other people that would join oh, us occasionally. I've seen a lot of, lot of yeah. Oh. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of um, kayfabe names. Most of the names were actually just meant to be insults of the other people. They were amalgamations of real people's names. So, Well, when, when we're in New Orleans, if we end up recording an episode, I'll, I'll make sure I sit to your, what do you want, north to northeast? You know, we'll let the patrons choose. It will be a uh, patron's supported choice. Is, uh, is, that a, what, is that a higher tier? Is that a more premium tier? <laughs> what cardinal direction should uh, Thurston sit across from Ghana? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that that could in fact be one of them. You uh, decide. You decide, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. We're going to both be in New Orleans for several days. Um, I actually just booked a whole bunch of uh, hotel rooms from, for the trip to All In. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, because there's the StarCast little uh, event that they're doing that weekend. Right. All the and podcasts. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, well, I'm going to book book some rooms. But unfortunately, I could only get a room from Thursday to Saturday. And then I had to get a room at the Auxiliary Hotel from Saturday to Sunday. Oh, wow. So I don't know whether I'll be able to, you know, extend my hotel stay when, you know, some people drop out or something later on. Or if on Sunday night I'll just go home with my buddy and go back to his house uh, where he lives outside of Chicago, um, which is kind of northernly of, of where we're going to be staying or what. So I, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. But in theory, I have two hotel room reservations right now. Mm. So we'll figure something out. You said you got a reservation as well, didn't you? For a hotel reservation? Yeah, for all in. I thought you said you, no, you were already booking that with people. I got a plane ticket, oh. but I do not have a hotel reservation. I procrastinate on Well, probably what will happen is I, I'll have friends here who have, who have told me they're going to go. And then when they uh, have, have flights or whatever, maybe we'll you know make hotel plans together or whatever. Well, maybe maybe what you guys will do is you'll, you'll use my hotel room from Thursday to Saturday. Oh. You'll go to all in. You'll leave your baggage at the valet check in the front of the lobby, uh-huh. and then you guys will just sleep on the couches outside of the hotel until your plane flight early the next morning. I would, and, I would be open to that if, if the hotel <laughs> staff has no issue. I know how cheap you are, so this makes <laughs> sense to me. Yeah. Uh, speaking of international travel and mm-hmm. you know going across the, the, the great world, uh, you, you wrestled in two countries yesterday, did you not? I did. I, I, I crossed international borders, and uh, I wrestled in the United States and Canada. I wrestled for Empire State Wrestling uh, in North Tonawanda, New York, which is my, my hometown. And then I – so I wrestled in the opener at ESW, and I – I won, I got in the car, and I drove straight to Fort Erie, which is like the first city over the border from Buffalo. So it was a, a, a really short drive, actually. It was like 40 minutes. And uh, we, we went to another show for Border Town Pro Wrestling. In Fort they call you Jack Briscoe? You're doing double shots on a Sunday, a Saturday? Yeah, basically, yeah. I'm like Ric Flair. I just get in the plane. I, I, I go over there. I go over here. Two, two in one day. Isn't that like the, the legendary? Yeah, we, we wrestled six days a week and, and, or seven days a week and twice on Sunday or whatever they say. You know? In Mexico, they still do it for real. Uh, I know earlier uh, last year when Dean Ambrose was, was reigning high, he did a couple double shots where he did – actually, yes. I think he might have even done like a triple shot or something really weird one day where like he – I know he wrestled in the opener for one of the shows and then he immediately went to another show and wrestled there. Yep. They, they took like a little video of him like leaving the venue, th- jumping in a car. Yeah. yeah. But um, 
but yeah, so you wrestled at uh, Border Town. Did you win? Did you lose? What what kind of match was it? We won. It was a tag match. Uh, Terrell, Kenneth, and I uh, wrestled as a patron saints of professional wrestling, a tag team. And we beat uh, Jordan Falco and Nick Merrick in a rematch. And uh, so we, so we won. I won both matches. A win in the United States, a win in Canada. Which which winner's purse pays more with the exchange rates now? <laughs> do you want to do, uh, sh- I, I don't know if the promoters would, would appreciate me revealing well, well, my the promoters, the, Well, but, the promoters should have to be reporting that to the commission about what, what you get for winning a match and losing a match. Should, and everybody's pay should be completely transparent so that everybody knows what a fair price is for the, for the value of their labor. I completely agree. Have you um, have you considered creating anonymous glass door for pro wrestling companies where you get to report well, what your uh, your your amount of revenue is and in no way will it be gamed by the system on on trolls internet using uh the internet? Yeah, I, th- I think if you go to shindywrestling.com, I think that's sort of the same thing. Ah. <laughs> Yes, the epic thread that I have heard about. Yes. Yes. Actually, I think it was TC Watts who in fact linked me to that thread one time. Yes, but it was a it was a good show. We had um a, a few of our students had big matches. Um Kevin Blackwood wrestled AR Fox in a match. So I, I had to leave right away, so I didn't see it myself, but I heard it was a great match. Uh Daniel Garcia, another one of our students, wrestled Dick Justice and mm. uh and Puff made his ESW debut. Oh, nice. he's, he's getting going here, and I heard it was a huge hit. Now, uh, did you talk to Dick Justice at all about Bloodsport? I did not. No, I, I was wondering if he's going to bring it up to me, but I did not get a chance to discuss it with him. And like I said, I had to, I had to bounce early. So Justice was at ESW, not at the Border City. That's right. Okay. All right. So, have you been compiling your record for the year so far? Have you figured out whether you have a winning record or a losing record for uh, 2018 so far? No, I leave that to cagematch.net. Mm-hmm. Good plan. Good plan. Can say this week was very. Oh, oh, you know what? I'm in, I'm in an improv tournament right now. That's so, right. Yeah, this is week two is over, and uh, we won again in week two. Uh, so my my team is going to the finals. Well, mm-hmm. just like uh, Miz, I'm going to be in the. Uh, you know, I'm I'm teamed up with a really really awesome person, so that they're they're carrying the team all the way so through. I, I, to I the told finals. you that that Miz and Oscar team is gonna was gonna win the whole thing. They're in the, well, we'll talk about that later. Go on. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. So it's a voting thing where each team does their set, and then the audience gets to vote for which set they liked more between the brackets. Hmm. And the gimmick of the tournament is that it has to be all people that have never worked together before. So imagine tag teams that have never, ever even, like, like worked on a show before together. Um, and so it's been interesting and uh, uh, challenging at times. But uh, I walked in with really low expectations. I, I, I literally walked in figuring we were just going to lose in the first round and that was going to be that. And when we won the first round, I was, I was flabbergasted. I, I haven't been that shocked for years, like really just being like, oh, my gosh, I didn't expect that. And then the second time we did a set and it was a decent set. And then the other team did a set. and It was a pretty good set. And I figured, oh, OK, it's going to be close. And it, we won by one vote. So it comes oh, down to wow. there's text voting. And so how many votes I, are there total? Like what's the electorate? Oh, you know, the millions of people millions? In, in the United States have the ability to vote. Uh, only those in the the theater are probably the ones that are actually voting since those are the only people that saw the sets. Mm. So I, I would estimate it in the uh, the tens of people. 173. Yeah, I think it's more of the uh, the, the 73 portion of that number. Um, but yeah, so that was interesting. And, and I'm I uh, was very excited about that. So we go to the finals this week. So it's it's identity wow. crisis versus uh, the STPs. So we will see whether or not we uh, carry through. 
And uh, the S- which one are you? Which which one do you think I am? The identity crisis of the STPs. Well, what does STP stand for? Stone Temple Pilots. But what else could it stand for? Where where do I live? Uh, Saint Paul. Yeah. Uh, so are you at the STPs then? We we so originally I had a different team. So this was this was a whole last minute shenanigans. We had a, a drug test failure. Really? And no, <laughs> we didn't have a drug test failure. We had a wellness policy. Yeah, yeah. USADA flagged us, and we had some some big issues going on with it. not creatine, but uh, what is it, osterine? Yeah, a lot of osterine going on. No, um, we we started off with a, a trio, and I wrote something being like, "I live in St. Paul," and the next person wrote back and goes, "I also live in St. Paul," and the third person wrote in and said, "I as well live in St. Paul." So we were going to be called like St. Paul or Twenty Minutes on Ninety Four, just like different things referring to St. Paul, and then we decided to go with the more vague STP. And then, of course, people immediately think it's Stone Temple Pilots, to which uh, you know, that's our entrance music now. So that works out really well, actually. Uh, it's, I'm a big STP fan. That was my, my favorite band in the 90s. So, you know, I, I have no problem coming out to Dead and Bloated um, for the show. So, yeah, it was a good time. So I'm, uh, I'm very shocked to be in the finals. And uh, I am trying to, to not use my massive social media presence and my, my superstar status to influence the voting so I, I have not been tweeting about this in a way that, you know, would, would influence uh, the results. So instead, I just wait till the end and, and post uh, pictures what afterwards. What do you get if you win? What you get if you win, you get a trophy. Oh. And in, in the past, they have sometimes given the winning team a run. And uh, depending on which run. night you get a run, you can possibly get paid for it. So a uh, meaning. Oh, you I get see. Booked. You get to perform. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like a wrestling tournament. You get booked more if you uh if you win. Mm. You know, that's the the key is that the people have shown that they want. That's that's the best thing about a popularity contest is because if you win a popularity contest, you might actually be able to draw a little bit. Yeah. So it'll it'll be interesting to see where we go. It's a uh, very interesting team because a lot of teams really work up gimmicks and they work up a lot of. Um, this is for my improv podcast, of course, that we're also recording simultaneous to this. Mm-hmm. But they, they work up like a you know a whole rehearsal schedule and this and that, and then other teams they just kind of um, phone it in and they're just like, we're going to do a montage, blah blah blah. Well, me and the other guy are very short form improvisers, so we have a lot of experience more in the game forms, and so we don't play games per se, but we kind of set it up like a silly game. And he's very charismatic, so it's working very well for the cell. Um, I would say my biggest complaint is the fact that they don't start the clock until we actually start performing rather than when we come out to get the suggestion because uh, short formers are very good at at killing time using audience banter. And so I'm always hoping that I can count that towards my goal. But I but in fact, we don't. Is it like pro wrestling where you have like a a team like like a tag team where you have like the really charismatic guy, but then like the worker guy? Um. To a degree, yeah, I'd say so. He's 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 really charismatic. I'm the bump monkey right now. Is actually how it's working. Like I told you, I took a bump a couple weeks ago on stage, and this week I was all over, you know, top of the stage, bottom of the stage, running out the doors, carrying chairs, etc. So, you know, I I would say it's it's kind of like one of those like an Austin Foley tag team where you know one is the super charismatic guy and the other guy is taking the stupid bumps, or uh, you know maybe even Max Payne and and Cactus Jack might oh, wow. be a better. <laughs> better analogy for what we're doing here and i don't not sure which one is which and then we have a third member too who um is a little bit less you're the mcfoley of improv you know i back in the day that would have been the greatest compliment i could think of now now with mick's reputation i don't know whether i i would consider that the biggest compliment uh for lots of reasons 
I, I do not leer at the other women in the uh, <laughs> the, the uh, improv back room there and make them feel uncomfortable and then talk about it on Twitter and, and my books afterwards. Mm. So at least I hope I do not. Mm. I apologize if I have. So uh, that's our banter section of the show. Was there anything else going on for banter for you? Um, I've been, I've been having a midlife crisis lately, I guess. <laughs> wow, that's a heavy one to, to drop. Okay. I guess. What? I'm, I'm thinking about um, – I'm, I'm contemplating quitting my job and buying a house. Is, wow. isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't that a great combination? It's really that smart, is, right? That's a very interesting combination because I think yeah. it will, will drive you to um, – the the fundamentals of uh, of reality like I live in, I have a mortgage, you know, and, and my concept is always like, can I quit my job and do this full time or do I need to show up and make sure that, that you know, Canada Business Intelligence is still work, running for the company I work for? No, I'm thinking um, I would like to quit my job for reasons we we, sh- we don't need to get into on, on air. But and then I also my so my my rent is my lease is going to be up at the end of July and uh the landlord wants to raise the rent a little bit for the second consecutive year which is not that big of a deal but it's like it's kind of to the point where like well do I really want to pay that much in rent and uh I kind of want to not live in North Tonawanda anymore and maybe move some and not not move far away but somewhere else in the western New york area maybe like the city of buffalo and uh and I've been like having weird thoughts about like, well, maybe I'll I'll buy like a a, th- a three unit, you know, three family home, and I'll rent it out to people, which I'm totally not experienced in. But um, yeah. So you're considering becoming a landlord as yeah, your backup yeah, plan? Ex- ex- well, I don't know about a backup plan, but it, but a supplementary income. Let's yeah, let's say that. Yeah. Do Do you have any experience, you know, fixing things around the house? Oh. Well, experience, yes, but but fi- but mostly failures. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not not handy or anything like that. My goodness, this is a this is a big decision for you. You uh, you I think we should put it to a Twitter poll and uh, let let the audience decide. So I've you you go to like Zillow or whatever, and you can look at the um well, what's the real estate where the houses the homes are being you know for sale. I've been looking at like well, what's the cheapest house I can get that doesn't need like a lot of work? And I think that's probably I don't know that's where I'm going to go if um. If my mind doesn't change, just what if I get like a really cheap house for like fifty thousand dollars or something like that, and the, the mortgage monthly mortgage payment would be fairly low. And I know there's taxes and utilities included in that, also obviously. But if you know, like a really kind of rundown looking house that the average you know home buyer would never buy, but a, but a weird uh, frugal person like myself would be totally content with. So I think that's where the um, the value is high for me, but not so high for most of the the economy that's going to buy a house. So I'm going to exploit that, uh, that gap, if you will, I think. It's interesting you say that because you will get some, you know, the mortgage uh, interest deduction, which is nice on your taxes, though uh, probably not the most uh, out, out of um, out of sheer principle. I think you should refuse to take it. Um, but the challenge with that is you're also locking yourself in, though, for the model of life that you have now and implying that you are fine with that in the future. So, you you know, you're thinking very much like I, Brandon Howard Thurston III, have no yeah. problem living in a frugal house. Mm-hmm. But you're not thinking about if I was in a relationship with someone else, would they want to live in the same house? What would I do with this house if I wanted to expand my, my opportunities? True. Well, I guess I could just sell the house if I absolutely had to, right? Possibly. And, and, you know, and the hope to, is that to the who? house will – well, to – 
to a buyer. And well, the hope is that, well, the house would increase in value. Maybe I would do some things to make it increase in value and improvements, but, um, are you are you going to work with a real estate agent? Or are you going to try to do well, this I, all yourself? I haven't thought of any of that. No, See, I, 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 I will say there is a value in finding a real estate agent who can help you with those sort of things. And it's yeah. not because we are, in fact, um, sponsored by Remax because we are not. But uh, you know, there is a value about having that so that you're able to you know have someone who sometimes also knows people who can help you get loans and things like that if you need for the mortgages. Though to be fair. You're you're a smart enough guy that you realize most of the stuff you can figure out how to do on the internet yourself, and then you don't have to pay someone else to do it. Yes, perhaps smart enough, but ambitious enough is another question. Perhaps lazy enough to not do it myself is is also a hazard. And and what would you what would happen to um, your career then? Where would you be doing full time? Would you just be a full time philosopher? And have you found a a, what, a special what? patron who's willing to pay you just to be a you know a a Renaissance era? Uh, artist and thinker what what career are you referring to i don't know like like you said you're going to quit your job so what, what's yeah. your new career then well i'm a professional I'm hoping, wrestling trainer yeah i guess so well i'm hoping that the uh, the the wrestlingomics patreon will uh explode and will uh allow me to sustain uh, a basic standard of living and uh i don't know hopefully the stock market just continues to uh perform well and i don't know we'll see i'll, I'll find something to do with my life, maybe, or if not, I'll I'll realize that I have to do something else, and I'll I'll learn and I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll tell you that, the one. That's what even happens this August. We'll see. Wow, this is this is this is. You should let your landlord know that he has caused such an existential crisis for you just yeah, by it's, it's saying that my he's going to take two percent. Yeah, yeah. It's less my landlord and other factors, but I did text my landlord and said, "Hey, I'm thinking about buying a house." And he's like, "Oh, okay, that's fine. We have lots of time." Wow. What about the little man who lives in the fridge? Will he come? Will he go? No, he was already removed. Remember, we, I, he's he's gone. He's with the other fridge. They probably took him to like some refrigerator landfill or something. He's probably gone to some house that only costs fifty thousand dollars, where they figure whoever's moving in doesn't care. That's possible. Yeah, they might have resold it. Yeah. Well, tonight, you know what I'm doing with my life is uh, tonight, right after we finish this podcast this afternoon, I'm going to shave my face clean, as clean as I can possibly get, and I'll tell you why. I'm really? going to a, a Star Trek mystery party after this. Yeah, this is the truth. This is God's honest truth. And so um, with this improv tournament, I've actually been trying to uh, uh, do hair in reverse. So the first week I had a full beard. Second week I just had a goatee. And the third week I want to be completely clean shaven so that when you look at the pictures, you'll be very confused what the order they were all in. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I I got a uh, kit the other day from the Dollar Shave Club about their kind of all the things that they give you in a trial kit and it, it kind of blew my mind because it, it is an affordable amazing shave that i was able to get and uh, i was really excited to get this thing because i'd never tried dollar shave club and i'm someone who uh, i i grow my facial hair out a lot and then i go in one big swoop try to shave it all off and so it's a real hassle for me to sometimes have razors and things in the house when i actually really want them so i appreciate any kind of service that brings the the razors to me and when i say dollar shave club if the first thing that pops into your head is an amazing affordable shave then we're about to blow your mind aren't we mookie yeah that's right because dollar shave club is in fact a sponsor of wrestlenomics radio here and the cool thing about dollarshaveclub.com is they deliver everything you need to look feel and smell your very best and i really appreciate that because dollar shave club is more than just razors and it's even better than shopping in a store because they send it to you direct 
And Dollar Shave Club delivers to you everything you need to look, smell, and feel your best, whether it's shampoo, body wash, or toothpaste. And it is some of the best razors. It is the best razors I've ever used. You get an amazing high-quality shave every morning from the Dollar Shave Club Executive Razor. And what I really appreciated was what they it's called Dr. Carver's Shave Butter, which sounds delicious, but please don't eat it. Uh, but it helps the razor glide across your skin. And I am someone who, uh, not only having a sensitive soul, I have a very sensitive face. And one of the reasons I don't shave very often is because when I do, I puff up like a fish. And it, it looks kind of scary, actually, because my neck just goes straight out. Uh, and so I'm very sensitive to, you know, um, what kind of lotion I'm using and what the blades are going to do to my face. And so I was really, really happy that after I shaved with using my Dollar Shave Club razors, my, my face did wonderful, in fact. And so I was really pleased. And I do credit Dr. Carver Shave Butter. Mm-hmm. And, and another must-have experience is how Dollar Shave Club delivers everything to you. And that means... No more trips to the store, wandering through the aisles and hunting for razors, shampoos, toothpastes. And then you have to you know, go and pay the cashier and scan and bag your own stuff. With Dollar Shave Club, you just do it all online. They send it to you on a recurring basis. Yep. So it's a mind-blowing experience. You can join Dollar Shave Club today for just $5. Free shipping. You get the six-blade executive razor plus a trial sizes of the shave butter, the body cleanser, and these great little uh, oh. wet nap type things, the one wipe Charlies. And the they, wipes. Keep, they keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. And you get dollarshaveclub.com slash W-E, W-E for WrestleNomics executives, just like yourself, W-E. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash W-E. That's Dollar Shave Club. You will, you will blow your mind how well you can get an amazing affordable shave. Mm-hmm. That's our uh, fabulous plug for the week for a, a great sponsor of ours. And I'm, 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 I am really going to a, a Star Trek mystery party. Wh- who do you think I'm going as? I don't, there's a limited number of Star Trek people that I, that I have that I know. Uh, Spock I know, so, and Kirk. Uh, that, that was, was the only I, uh, Unless you're going to go to like Data and, and, and Lamar, LeVar Burton. <laughs> I love it. It was three characters and LeVar Burton. Yeah. Um, what was his name? Jordy LaForge. Jordy, yeah. I am in fact going as Data, and uh, when you oh, see really? me, yeah, when you see me up wow. close, you will say you realize that like Brent Spiner is about the only celebrity that I somewhat look like mm-hmm. because I have a very pronounced nose. Um, is that the actor who played Data? It is, and same mm-hmm. guy from Night Court too. So he's a oh, he's really? a yeah, mm. two double threat if I've ever heard one. Um, the so big he's news, a robot, right? He is an android. An android. An android. Is, is that the preferred nomenclature? That is the preferred nomenclature. That is what uh, he, he prefers to be uh, uh, engendered as, as a artificial life form android, as he explains in Times Arrow. Oh, um, uh, the big news this week on our wrestling podcast that we've talked very little about wrestling on is uh, Mr. Daniel Bryan. Brian Danielson is coming back to WWE and WWE sent out um, in a very short order of time that he was medically cleared to go to the ring. They sent out a uh, a corporate.wwe.com press release where they listed all the doctors that had cleared him. Dave Meltzer um, covered the story in depth, obviously, with a little bit of an inside edge. He's he's clearly been talking to Daniel or people very close to Daniel Bryan about you know the timing and all of this and uh were you surprised to hear that daniel bryan was being cleared to go to the ring yes i, I was not expecting it I knew, I knew it was a possibility daniel bryan had done an interview some months earlier where he said that 
he really made it sound like he was, almost was giving them an ultimatum. Like he said that I, I think if they don't clear me by WrestleMania, then I don't think that they're going to clear me. And and here we are, just weeks or days before WrestleMania, and he's been cleared. And you and I did a a what do we think the world's going to be like at the end of the year thing. And we did not include Daniel Bryan on there, but we've talked about Daniel Bryan before. And I think we talked about, Mm -hmm. do we think he's going to stay or go? Mm -hmm. And you and I were split on this where I think you felt very strongly he was going to go. And I felt very strongly he was going to stay. And my rationale was he has a very good contract to basically work 50 year, 50 some dates a year. And his wife works for the company. And she, as we talked about last week, lots of trademarks related to the Bellas. And that he gets all these benefits from being part of the machine of WWE and ultimately as a father and as someone who wants to make a lot of money um, in a in a prepared way, they could probably offer him something like a training position at the performance center or something else or just a television personality. And, and eventually he would grow into it and, you know, just kind of move on with his life. And I thought he would stay with WWE. And you you basically said, well, no, the Bucks and everyone, they're making a ton of money. And, you know, everyone wants to book him. And he thinks he's healthy enough to do this. It's not a matter of him, you know, going against better wishes. Mm. Uh, and so he's going to want to leave. And, of course, he talked about it in a way that made it sound like he was going to leave. So for a while there, it sounded like you were going to win that bet. So I had to pull some strings to get Daniel cleared so quickly. Yeah, I appreciate you doing that. But uh, I, I felt that he was going to wrestle, whether it was in WWE or if WWE didn't want to let him wrestle, he was going to wrestle somewhere else. Um, I wonder how much that played into the fact and played into the into him being cleared. The uh, you know the the notion that WWE management probably knows that because they probably talked to him, if nothing else, right? Um, well, yeah, and I, if, I was if, even if, if Daniel Bryan was I don't know I don't know how to put this like if if Daniel Bryan was. Um, Content to stay in WWE and and wrestle or not wrestle, or if he was like I'm, whatever the case, I'm gonna stay with WWE. I really want to wrestle, but if you guys don't want to let me wrestle, I'll just stay. Would would they have ever cleared him? And my other conspiracy theory is, um, which I don't necessarily believe, but but I think it's worth raising. Um, is is this in any way related to the CTE lawsuit not looking so good for the plaintiffs right now? I think. Uh, I'll answer the second question first. CT lawsuit is in complete disarray uh, from the standpoint of it is very close to being thrown out. Kairos is now actively basically ignoring what the court is telling him to do. And what he was basically said in the sanctions thing is that he's at risk of having the entire case thrown out because of him uh, dismissed. And if he didn't respond, and instead of responding by saying, okay, I'll do the things that you told me to do, he basically responded with, I don't think it's fair. I don't think I should have to. And so he's he's put that case, that the, the fragments that were left in that case, in incredible danger. So I do think that they're, from a CT lawsuit standpoint, they're not afraid of it having a big negative effect on them anymore because it's just in complete disarray. They've pretty much denounced most of it. And for the most part, they are protected in the case of, of Daniel Bryan to say, here's all the steps that we went through to ensure that he had brain health. You know, there's even talk that apparently he has to do impact testing every single time he goes to wrestle before and after the match um, and, and things like that. So they're in a position where they really are trying to come up with kind of what the new modern standard's going to be. Um, the, the other thing I think it is, is it is a signal, right? So if you have a company and like Impact and all your stars want out and they're all signing with other companies, what does everyone immediately think? This ship is sinking. This is not the place to be. I don't want to be part of that. 
And I do think there's a small element where if if you're Daniel Bryan and they say, okay, you've got the biggest platform in the world for professional wrestling, WWE, and you're walking away from that because you'd rather go do something else. There's a big difference between being Daniel Bryan and walking away and being Stardust and walking away, right? Or Jack Swagger. Like you're talking about someone who is a huge commodity. And I I think he also plays on the other side, which is if you're an independent wrestler and you're thinking, who do I want to go and work with? Knowing that Daniel Bryan is there is going to be something that's going to attract you to that place. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm sure people like Nakamura and whatnot were attracted to come to WWE thinking this is the place where guys like Daniel Bryan go to wrestle. Mm -hmm. And so there's that element, too, where I think if they lost him, it might actually hurt their recruiting efforts in the future because there would be that certain class of person who says, what would I rather do? You know, I could either try it on my own or go to New Japan or I can go to WWE. And so retaining a Daniel Bryan, I do also think sends some positive messaging to them. Mm-hmm. It, it makes the, the freelance world of independent wrestling where they really are freelancers, not like they are in, in WWE. But it, may, it makes independent wrestling a more attractive place to be if you're a star because you, you, you might get to work with Daniel Bryan or Rey Mysterio or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they, they said they had leading neur- neurosurgeons, neurologists and concussion experts, including Dr. Dr. Robert Cantu, Dr. Um, Javier Caderas, butchering his name, and Dr. Jeffrey Kushner. And uh, it's very interesting because apparently this was even a, a set of people that were chosen by um, by the, the WWE's doctor, D- Joseph Maroon. He got to kind of decide who it was going to be that had to sign off on this. Mm-hmm. And at least one of the doctors was kind of leading, according to Dave, a behind-the-scenes effort to kind of get all these doctors on the same page and look at it. And there's been all sorts of other questions about, you know, how damaged was Daniel Bryan actually because there was, I think, a lesion or something they found in his brain at one point. There was the stories of the uh, the micro-seizures that he had mm-hmm. and other things. And so um, what's not clear, of course, is was there really a benefit that came out of um, the therapy that he was using, which is – what was it? The, the the cryogenic chamber, not ki- cryogenic, hype, hyper hyperbaric, baric chamber. You're right. Cryogenic is like where they preserve. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's being chirogenically uh, uh, preserved. That's a, that's more like a Vince thing, I think. It's so Vince can come back. It's, and a, it's, a, it's a Ted Williams thing, I think. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, no. So this was the oxygenated chamber, and it's supposed to help the brain heal. And there's just a lot of questions about, you know, would he continue doing this treatment? Did he pay for all this treatment himself? Um, did WWE kind of offer to pay for any of this? I'm guessing that most of this Brian paid for himself because WWE basically said we we are done. You know, we made our decision. And then he has to basically get all this testing and stuff done to prove that it was different. Um, maybe they will, you know, reimburse him or treat it, you know, treat it as part of his ongoing treatment now, perhaps. Is, is that something that a healthcare provider would or health, you know, medical insurance would cover? Um, has, I'm sure he has medical insurance. An experimental thing like that? Probably not. I would be I'd be wildly surprised if it was. I don't know how expensive that sort of, you know, um, treatment is. Um, I think they were saying so cheap. And also, I don't think he was doing it, you know, near his home. I thought he was like traveling to Florida or something to do it, which sounds even more. Yeah, I, I saw something saying he had like X number, which was like in like 50 or something like that. He had a, he had taken a bunch of hyperbaric treatments and uh, yeah, all over the country. Yeah. So that's that's crazy. And then. They announce it kind of 
out of the blue. Like it wasn't, you know, you could argue that, yes, there's some storylines that were leading to this being making sense. But for years, they've been programming storylines where you, you would have logically thought this means Daniel Bryan's coming back to wrestle. And it hasn't worked out that way. And it's not because I thought they were teasing it on purpose, but it's because it's kind of the only thing they know to do. So like when The Miz and, and Daniel Bryan are getting on each other's nerves and screaming at each other in television – it's it's kind of half a work and half a shoot, right? Because even in that one, Daniel Bryan was just like, I will come here to kick your ass, but I can't. They won't let me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was very interesting the way Daniel Bryan always kind of handled it with his kind of candor about feeling that he was being, you know, forced to retire. It wasn't really his choice. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so what happened here? So Dr. Joseph Maroon, who is uh, a character in, in the concussion movie, right? And who is WWE's? What is his position with WWE? He's like the 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 chief medical advisor or something like that. Yeah, Doctor Maroon is uh, the medical director for WWE. He is a board certified clinical professor of neurological surgery and the vice chairman of the Department of Neurosurgery at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Mm-hmm. So, so he's the guy who I guess I guess Daniel Bryan before he was ever you know forced to retire. He Daniel Bryan told him that he had some seizures, right? And uh, and then I, I think that was a factor, probably not the only one, but that was a factor in not clearing him, right? Well, I think then they got a test done and they found and then, a, a, like a big issue in his brain in terms of... And then they of, found a, a, legion, a legion in his parietal, something like that? Uh, they found a legion in his brain and then that was that was the, the last straw that led to him retiring in Seattle or, or, and whatnot, right? And And I think he was absolutely right to do it. I, I I think he is completely maligned as a as a villain in the story when he's acting Maroon? as a doctor. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he's acting as a doctor and saying, you've shown me evidence of a problem in your brain. We know that wrestling is probably going to exacerbate this problem. And I, as both a person representing WWE and their liability and representing what is best for medical care for people – make the recommendation you do not wrestle anymore and he helped develop the impact testing that's part of actually what he did uh he 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 co-developed that with mark lovell so i mean he's he's not someone who you know is is behind the times on concussion therapy and concussion information and he made that call and then it was basically a question mark of whether he would ever quote unquote change his mind and supposedly daniel bryan basically went to him and said you give me the criteria i have to pass and I will go do that. And it took a long time to do that. But in the end, he found enough of these experts that Dr. Maroon respected and that they signed off on this too. And I think that's really important too is that it wasn't as simple as just, you know, he went and found doctors that were willing to sign off because earlier that's what he did, right? He went to a bunch of doctors and some of the doctors said no, some of the doctors said yes, and he used that. Right. I think it's a lot different if you then say, who are your experts in the field? I will get them to agree with me. And I think he was also willing – from what I heard, Daniel Bryan was also willing to accept the diagnosis if they everyone else agreed. If if they didn't want to sign off on him, he supposedly was even willing to basically say, yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe I should stop wrestling. Mm-hmm. I mean as, as Dave will say over and over again, there's probably never been a wrestler that's had as many medical tests done on his brain and the condition of his brain. Um, and there's very few other athletes in sports who have ever had that many tests done on their body, especially their brain, to understand the, the value and, and where they stand today. 
I, I'm sure there are like super athletes, you know, the Tiger Woods of the world who have had enormous amounts of, you know, kind of testing done on them. And that's and they, of course, all have all those kind of shady characters that are also associated with them, like the people who do the blood spinning and and uh, other therapies that are questionable. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, so, but what do you think of the timing of this, though? I, I mean, I know Brian said that he, if he he didn't get cleared by many, he would assume that he wasn't going to get cleared at all. It's it's coincidental, isn't it, that he got cleared right before WrestleMania. And that makes me wonder how much influence do people other than doctors like Joseph Maroon have you know, how, what role did people like Vince McMahon and Paul Levesque have in making this happen or getting the ball rolling on this? I would think of it's more that from the time that he started this therapy till we completed it, you could almost work backwards from that to say, okay, well, how many sessions do I need to take? Okay, well, if I start these sessions at this point, will I be able to finish by this point? Okay. And who do I, when do I need to get appointments to sign off on things? Okay. And then you can work backwards from that and come up with, I can get ready by WrestleMania. I I do think guys all the time rush their recoveries to go to WrestleMania. AJ Styles is going to rush his recovery to try to go to WrestleMania this year, right? You know, that's another guy who's injured, who's basically going to do everything in his power to be there. Mm -hmm. And, And we've seen lots of people do that over the years. So there is, of course, that little added pressure. But I do think at at a certain level, what you're really doing is you're just kind of working backwards, though. And if you've had a year and a half or two years to kind of plan this out, a year from now or a year ago, you could have started to plan this out in a lot of ways. To say, you know, what would I need to do and what would all the boxes have to get checked for this to work? Now, yes, do I think that they took advantage of it where normally we might, you know, say let's do a test run or let's do this or that. But we don't know how much of this has been in, in the works for how long. Um, and, you know, in theory, if he's healthy and he's recovering, then he's reached that state or been in that state for a while. So I, I'm guessing there's also that element of, you know, all these doctors cannot be easy to schedule all these appointments with and these test results with and everything else. So I feel like there's an enormous amount of scheduling that has to go on behind the scenes to get to all these people to kind of communicate with each other, look at these tests, do these tests, get the treatment plans in place, and all sign off and agree. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, WWE might have manufactured it, but in the same sense, I feel like they manufactured it knowing that this was the goal and, you know, they had a year to plan it. So. I don't feel like it's coming right out of the blue. If someone got injured in January and we're trying to get him back for WrestleMania, then I do feel like, yeah, you are, you know, doing working as fast as you can just to make a splash. Mm-hmm. So, do you, do you think does this happen if the CT lawsuit is looking much better for Kairos and the defense and the uh, the plaintiffs? Um, I think it's a great question, and it'll be really curious to see if Kairos brings it up as an example. To say this is the level of care every wrestler should be receiving and the fact that WWE both refused to do it previously, acknowledges the risks now, and has not extended the same level of care to all its other wrestlers is evidence of blah, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think in general, no, it doesn't doesn't um, connect because essentially WWE is just in a big fight with them more or less about when they admit that they understood the dangers of CTE and that wrestling was linked to it in any way. And if anything, it helps them because they can say, well, here's what we can do to treat people. Now, should this then maybe say you could change your lawsuit to say, I think you should be offering these treatments to all the former wrestlers so that they can start healing their brain now. That's a different argument. I think there's something to be said for that. You know, the one thing that for all my my criticisms of Kairos, 
there is one thing he posted once that I thought was a really interesting um, kind of good example of what it is. And um, and it was his list of what does he actually want from this lawsuit? And I'm just going to find that really quickly here on www.concussionlawsuitsnews.com. And it was basically about – yeah. Cairo, here, Cairo's blog. Yep. Yeah. August 30th, 2017, he posted a 10-point thing about what do we want because they were in mediation at the time to see if there was something they could do. And he said, number one, full health care insurance for plaintiffs and their families who do not have it, cannot afford it, and supplemental policies for people on Medicare and Medi- Medicaid. Two, a lump sum disability or disability payments based on um, medical diagnosis, based on part how many matches they had offset by Social Security income and disability income. Number three, WWE should pay for medical monitoring for CTE for all patients. Number four, additional payouts for diagnosed neurological conditions for plaintiffs with qualifying diseases, real issues discovering by a doctor. I assume they mean like Parkinson's, things like that. Number five, WWE should pay for comprehensive mortality death rates wrestling study with a view of helping lower it. Number six, a program to build outreach to wrestlers in need, expanding drug and care alcohol program and tie it to overall medical care. Number seven, fair royalty payments and a full accounting to plaintiffs. Number eight, WWE should classify wrestlers as employees. Number nine, WWE should finance wrestler-specific CTE research instead of just giving millions to CTE studies of sports and military groups. And number 10, WWE should give lump sum payments to plaintiffs with CTE diagnosis after death. And that's what he said, I want. Now, the the viability of a lot of that is questionable. But I do think there's something to be said for the, the mortality death rate study, um, expanding outreach to wrestlers in need, and for um, the ability to basically say medical monitoring for CTE. And I would even add in medical monitoring and appropriate treatment, you know, that sort of thing. I, and I could see there being a situation where WWE says, you know, not only are we going to offer drug and alcohol counseling, but we will yeah. pay for – you know, we will pay for 10% of the cost of, of hyperbaric um, chamber therapy yeah, yeah. if yeah. you get a medical doctor to sign off on it. Now, Only the problem 10%? Is, well, I'm just saying I'm, – I'm saying that's what I could figure they would try to offer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, you know, offering it as, as a whole, I'm guessing it's a really expensive thing. I, I don't know enough about the, the cost of that. I don't know if any insurance covers it or not. But I do think that they could say we feel – an obligation to pitch in to this program or to this idea. And so in some ways it it hurts them in the sense that I think it it ties back towards the idea of saying wrestlers are getting hurt. What are you doing to help now? And there is a greater standard of care. And I do think that's the biggest question out of this is that WWE should be challenged to say, you did all of this to help Daniel Bryan get back in the ring. What are you doing for other wrestlers to help them recover their 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 ability to lead a, a meaningful life. And a quick Google search says hyperbaric uh, patients often need dozens of treatments, each requiring a separate visit to a clinic or hospital with a treatment time of 90 minutes. Hyperbaric treatments average about $350 per session. The average treatment cost to insurance carriers based on or the average HBOT, which I'm not sure what that stands for, but cost to insurance carriers based on 28 sessions or dives amounts to $9,800 per patient. Yep. So about ten grand a patient, which is – can afford that. Yeah. Actually, WWE could probably – I mean $10,000 do the financials. They can afford that. You know, $10,000 times 300 people is $3 million. Um, 
you know, I don't know if they would really be giving it to 300 people. I'm sure you would again run into all these arguments about, you know, what is the liability WWE has over the wrestlers that are that are in this condition um, in terms of so many of them worked for other companies and it's questionable. But for the most part, they've offered drug and alcohol counseling to these people. And, you know, they that that's got to cost 10 grand or so. So why wouldn't you offer this? And I think it would be a. a, a a good thing for the morale of the current roster even when you see that hey wrestlers who don't wrestle for us anymore who are having physical problems or whatever they're having uh you know maybe we're going to take care of these people and if, if i was a wrestler for wwe i would feel like okay that's good and maybe when i'm all done and, and messed up here there's going to be somebody some way to help me take care of myself yeah i mean i think the the main reason they're not doing it is because a it's a slippery slope for them that then, you know, are they next paying for transportation? Are they next paying for other medical care? Are they next paying for, you know, in the way it's it's almost omitting liability as opposed to the drug and alcohol thing they're using as their, their, we understand people have a proclivity for this that have been in our industry and we're trying to stop that because we think it leads to early death and that is bad for our industry. Mm-hmm. And what they're not really saying is we think CTE is bad for our industry. It's not good for their industry, but they're not really admitting that there's a connection there. Um, and then the other piece is just they, they haven't – you know, that goes back to the whole idea of insurance. They have never wanted to give insurance to their wrestlers. They've always wanted their wrestlers to be independently insured. And for the most part, wrestlers are in, independently insured. If you look at the contracts, it says they have to be. They have covered injuries that they deem to be related to WWE ring-related issues. So if you tear your knee while you're at a WWE live event, they'll probably pay for your surgery. If you're a superstar, they'll probably pay for your surgery no matter what, even if you tear it outside the ring. If you are a uh, regular person, you're always at risk because it even says in the event of an injury, we reserve the right to fire you. That's right in the contract. Um, all the lawyers don't. They usually don't, um, though. I mean, there have been examples where, you know, didn't Don Marie get pregnant and then they fired her? And, you know, so that was an example of someone being like, I can't work. And they're like, "Okay, you're we don't need you anymore. You know, they they held on to Rosa. Is Rosa Mendes still employed with WWE? No, I don't think so. But she she was pregnant for a while. And yes. Yeah. She she left and came back type sort of thing. And then I don't think she ever formally started wrestling again. But yeah, she, she rejoined them at one point. But yeah, yeah, exactly. There's So there's that element of it. Um, it's for them, they just, they very much have this, you know, kind of libertarian type mindset of you're an independent contractor. What can we do to keep you not on our books, not viable to us? But I do feel like there is a certain element of uh, they would like to do this. Uh, I think the challenge is I don't know if the research is there yet to prove it works. Just because it quote unquote worked for Daniel Bryan doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. And then are you going to have the slippery slope of everybody else saying, "Well, I want this kind of treatment that I think is going to work better. I need a you know uh, amino therapies, or I need you know healing crystals, or whatever else. You know, <laughs> you, you have to have a lot. You know, you have to have a lot. TRT. Line. Yeah. Exactly. So it it will be interesting to see kind of where that goes. But I I think it really opens the door for a lot of wrestlers to say, what are you doing to help make me better? And then do you want to invest in me to improve my my state of health? And was Daniel Bryan's condition a ring related activity? You know, absolutely. Well, a lot a lot of that wear and tear wasn't, you know, was not in WWE. Exactly. And so I think that's the other half of it that makes it really tough is that, you know, for them to take ownership of that. I think there are some people that would probably benefit enormously from this though. Um, when you go through that original 
guys that were in the lawsuit um, for CTE. Uh, let me just see if I can find their names. The, the, the guys out of California who signed up, there was um, Evel, Evan Singleton and Vito LaGrasso did the New Jersey, later Pennsylvania, later New York version. But the um, original in California was uh, Matthew Robert Weiss, who's better known as Luther Reigns, who, of course, came up in our steroid episode last, last week. Ryan Sakota, yeah, Ryan Sakota, who went by Sakota in WWE, um, or KG Sakota, um, and uh, who was part of Tajiri's group for a little while there. And then there's a guy named Russ McCullough, and Russ McCullough was someone that a lot of people said he might be actually one of the best plaintiffs to ever be in one of these lawsuits because he was a football player. So there is wear and tear on him prior to this, but then basically he gets into wrestling. I think um, I think this is the story where Rikishi comes and beats him with a chair kind of as a payback in a uh, training camp. And he basically never wrestles again and now is is incredibly. Uh, is, that, is that a story? Rikishi beat him up in training with a chair? Yeah. You, you don't remember this part of the story? I don't, um, I've never heard the story. Allegedly, if I remember the way this, this was pled, is that basically as part of you could either call it initiation, you could call it payback. I, I I don't know the hazing. You could call it a lot of different things. I don't remember the exact reason why. But during a show, basically, Rikishi did like a beat down with a chair on him. It was and, during a show. Yeah. And, in and front I, of an audience. I think it was in front of an audience. But he ended up getting pretty messed up. And I don't know if he ever wrestled again. And he's since then had some pretty serious neurological issues. This was on a WWE show or like a developmental show? Developmental, I believe. Uh, but I think he was under a WWE contract. This was back way back in the days of like using UPW and you'd have like contracted talent that was signed but worked there. So this is the early 2000s. Yes. Okay. And so he ended up basically not being part of this, like I say, because they basically created a time period where it says you had to be part of WWE after the year blank. I think it's 2005 or 2007 where they were saying basically after this point, WWE understood that there was a concern about CTEs and brain trauma and WWE had to educate you on that. Yeah, and they communicated that to their workers. Exactly. And so there's a whole thing in this lawsuit all about, did Dr. Maroon show you this presentation? Here's a videotape of Dr. Maroon showing you this pres- – <laughs> like they literally videotaped the guys watching the presentation now to prove mm-hmm. you were there, you saw this. Mm-hmm. This was said. And so basically the, the way the lawsuit ended up getting scoped is they said everybody before this time, WWE didn't really show that they had a reason to to worry about this. Afterwards, they knew it was a concern. Did they do something about it? Yeah. So, for the most part, they they. But uh, so I, Russ McCullough, I think, was the guy that this happened to. And you know, you could make a pretty strong argument that his injuries were pretty directly related to being in a wrestling ring. If you discount the fact he played college football beforehand, um, and that he is much worse off since then. And I wonder if someone like him would benefit greatly from a therapy like this. Um, but again, it's, you know, we're treating it like it's a panacea and we don't really know that much about it. You know, it could be really good for Daniel Bryan's very specific situation and other people who have used drugs or steroids or other things in their life, their body might not react the same way for all we know. Mm -hmm. Or they might have just very different underlying genes. You know, that's what it really comes down to in a lot of ways too, of why is this guy doing better than this guy? Half the time it's because they have better genetics. And, you know, if you're not prone to get Parkinson's in your family, you're probably less likely to get Parkinson's. So, 
you know, that's going to make it very, very hard to kind of separate one from the other. And that's why I agree with like what Cairo is saying here. They should pay for a comprehensive mortality death rate study and things of that nature is that even if they don't end up paying for health care for wrestlers, I do feel like WWE continues to owe an obligation to improving the science around the impacts and the what happens to a body through wrestling and what can be done to treat it. Mm-hmm. So that's my hope out of all, all these CT lawsuits and things like the Daniel Bryan story is that, you know, eventually Daniel Bryan will retire. They'll put him in their Hall of Fame and they'll announce they're donating a million dollars to the Daniel Bryan Institute for Brain Studies or something. Yes. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does something like that eventually, you know? Oh, to, well. Some sort of like brain research uh, movement, you yeah. Well, I mean, Christopher Nowinski, um, I think – He's one of the most amazing stories when you really put it all together to say, here's a guy who got a concussion and spent a lot of time trying to learn everything he could about it and then went out there and discovered that all their medical professionals were not taking it that seriously mm-hmm. and went to go find people that wanted to take it seriously and then keep going with that. And then this story keeps like connecting and they, they there's so, when you when you look up research on him, you, what you see over and over again is that he's going and he's speaking to so many different groups from veterans to football players to wrestlers and other people talking about what it's like to live with a concussion. And of course, the you know, the reality is is the Iraq and Afghan wars drove a lot more research and money into the idea of what do you do with subconcussive blows to people's heads. And so the problem is we just don't have a lot of answers. And so it's interesting, this Daniel Bryan test case. But at the same time, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, um, military veterans who have wanted this kind of study and and research and funding and and healthcare. So it'll be curious to see if that if it plays a role for anybody else. Yeah, I I guess the the military experience is like it's, it's different from like wrestling or football in that like there's just these repeated concussive blows to the head, right? Like the in the in the the military uh, head injury concerns are like more from in particular incidents, right? Sometimes, I mean, I'll, I would say a lot of them are from IEDs, things like that, where you know something blows up in a convoy and then you're in another car and you're getting a huge blow from that. Some of it comes from training errors, you know, where you're firing weapons and you're too close to something and you get knocked down or hurt. Some of it comes just from auto accidents. Right. There's a ton of those. One of the you know, when I was in Ghana, you know, the leading thing that they warned us about more than anything, they're just like the roads are what's going to kill you. They're like you're very unlikely to die from a disease. You're very unlikely to die from violence. You're very much more likely to die in an auto accident because you're driving around roads that are not lit at night. People drive around with their brights on. And if it does rain, it can get so hot that it will immediately evaporate. And then basically you have a mist. And so it's people driving at each other with their brights on on not well-kept roads with no external lights. It's very dangerous, which is why my bus slammed into a caterpillar and nearly took our legs off. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got stranded one time. And uh, yeah, I, I we you, luckily the guy in the front seat jumped up in time so that his legs didn't get sliced off. Otherwise, it would have been much worse. But yeah, um, you know. My, my, my point is like. The, the injuries sustained, you know, the head injuries sustained from things like IEDs are very serious. But the the CTE, the impression I have of CTE is CTE happens because of repeated subconcussive blows to the head. That's which, that's which, one which, which sounds more like wrestling, football, athletics. Yes, yeah, I think you're right in that. And and you know, for all we know, 
other wartime activities might have repeated subconcussive blows because yeah, I'm, while I'm we, having trouble imagining what they what, imagining what they are. I wouldn't be surprised if any yeah. kind of you know uh, infantry type yeah. event you can be getting subconcussive blows from just all the explosions that are happening around you. But you know, having having not served and um, not knowing enough, I can't say. I really can't say what that that is. But yeah, I think that's a real serious. I not served close enough to know. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I'm sure there are elements of being in the military that would give you a lot of those subconcussive blows. Um, but like we say, boxing and wrestling and football are probably far, far more likely. And there's even been talk about things like soccer and volleyball and other sports where where people uh, get hit in in ways that you don't necessarily think are going to have lasting impacts, but are still beginning to show up on people when we look look at their brains. And there's a genetic issue of this as well. I, I really strongly feel that, that they do think some people are just predisposed to possibly having brains that will get CTE much easier than other people. Yeah, I, I would suspect, or at least I wouldn't be surprised if drug and alcohol use exacerbates it too. Oh, yeah, yeah. and steroids too. Um, there's been talk about whether or not that might change some of the connective and muscles there. So um, one one thing that was, you know, Again, you and I kind of going back with uh, uh, conspiracy theories, but the question was, was this a ploy to help SmackDown ratings? WWE is in the middle of their renewal cycle for their domestic television rights contract. They expect to announce between, I think, May and September were the months that they listed, right? Mm-hmm. And they are in need of showing that they can continue to kind of juice their ratings in the right situation. And what how what impact did clearing Daniel Bryan, announcing it before the show, have on the actual ratings. It had a positive effect. We, we should mention, so they announced, this was clearly a card that they had for a while. They, well, I, that, I can't imagine. Dave, Dave insists that up until the day of, it was not signed off on. It was the day of. It just, it just happened to get finalized on a Tuesday? Yeah, yeah, actually. I mean, he basically said it as he, he, they were close because he heard rumors of it. But they didn't actually sign off on it all until that Tuesday. But then I think they also knew that it wasn't going to stay a secret for very long. And so I think they they also felt that they should push the button. But he said the decision to do physicality on the show was made the day of. In fact, only a few hours before the show. In fact, when they announced he was medically cleared, I don't think they intended to do physicality. And I think Daniel Bryan and, and Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens just kind of convinced them that this would be the best way to do the angle. According to Dave, again, this is the way Mel well, says I, I guess it, but he, I, he seems to have inside information. He's clearly talking to one of these three people or someone very close to one of these three people. I, I guess I can imagine it being finalized on Tuesday. I, I, I believe – I have to believe that they saw this coming or knew it was getting closer and closer to being finalized. Um, sure, sure. I mean the angles – I don't think they would have done the angles exactly how they did them. Yeah. leaving open the door if they didn't think it was a possibility because they were they, you know daniel bryan's interview last week i think it was in abu dhabi made it clear that even he wasn't sure where it was going and so he talked in kind of coach terms about like hey if i could come back i would and you know this angle sure looks like i could come back right mm-hmm. so so they announced this on tuesday that they put out this press release saying he's he's cleared and we just talked about what, what they said in the press release. All these doctors say he's okay to do physicality or whatever. And uh, so that night, uh, with all with all that social media buzz, that was uh, about midday lunchtime or so that when that was announced, right? I immediately got two texts from my friends saying, Daniel Bryan's cleared. I was like, whoa. 
And uh, so later that night, SmackDown was on live, and the viewership for SmackDown was 2,888,000. So that's, to put that in context, that's the third highest rating since the brand split began. So it's, it's not as high as the draft episode on July, I think, 19th, 2016. It's not as high as the Superstar Shakeup episode, which was a couple weeks after WrestleMania last year. But other than that, that's the highest since July 2016. That's, that is a, so, so it's a, a real positive rating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and um, I, I tweeted it out at 11.29 a.m. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. That was that was the uh, corporate page uh, news. Let me see. Um, I'm just trying to find the 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 actual Daniel Bryan. There we go. I tweeted it out on 2:30 p.m. my time on on that day. So it was by noon. Yeah, like you say, it was somewhere around noontime, one o'clock Eastern, uh, that it flipped. So that was that's a big deal. Um, and it shows just a. I think he is someone who has not diminished in stature despite not being a wrestler. Uh, I think he's retained kind of a very close relationship with uh, wrestling fans in the sense that they are still interested in him. Um, I do think someone like CM Punk coming back would be huge. But in another way, I feel like Daniel Bryan doesn't feel like he went away the way CM Punk did. And so there's a real question beforehand about, you know, would people really be surprised because Daniel Bryan's on my television every week? Is it a big deal if he's wrestling or not? And the answer is yes. Yes, it is. People really wanted to tune in and see this. Um, I think, you know, it's good for WWE in terms of the way they want to play this game. And I don't know whether, you know, Daniel Bryan resents being a, a pawn in the, the TV rights negotiations or not. But um, that's kind of what you sign up when you're part of WWE, right? is that you're agreeing you're going to use me to make your company seem bigger and that I am going to be a star for you. He spoke positively of the Saudi Arabia show this week too. Um, we'll get to that later. But so like the average viewership in the last year or so is somewhere around 2.5 million to 2.75 million. So this is like an extra 300,000 people or so as far as US TV viewership. That's all we're talking about. When we talk about this, we're talking about this, this data is from Showbiz Daily that they publish, uh, they publish yeah. ratings. Yeah, I mean, it on, wasn't... Uh, weekly I, or daily basis. I, I do think someone like CM Punk coming back would probably get a lot more curiosity viewing just because he's someone who's been out of the limelight but is still a, a top star versus, say, you know, even if Steve Austin was going to come back, it would be a big deal, but you know, he's he's kind of past his prime, right? I think it, it also helps that Daniel Bryan's being cleared here in his prime. Austin's probably a bad example, you know, some, someone who's a little bit more of a CSR. Mick Foley coming back, let's say. Uh, someone who's past their prime, has sort of been with the industries coming and going. I don't think he would have nearly as much impact. No pun intended. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, there's even debates about when is Daniel Bryan's contract up free for months and months and months. Dave has been saying he's not free till October. Suddenly, Daniel Bryan said, oh, it actually expires on September 1st, but I can't do the all-in show. There was always a debate about was he planned for part of the all-in show. Um, I do think he would have helped the all-in show enormously if he was on that show. Uh, just knowing, you know, how much Kenny Omega has been a factor. I think Daniel Bryan is two or three times the factor of Kenny Omega for his big return match. So that would have been really interesting. Yeah, I mean, now we should be clear. I mean, it, for all we know, he could have already signed an extension or a new deal, but his contract, his current contract, is still going to expire in September. So it's not a foregone conclusion that because he's clear, he's going to stay with WWE. Absolutely not. Which is why I think 
um, he recognizes that it's important that he gets cleared for WrestleMania so WWE sees his value. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and like I said, I think WWE sees value in him because of A, they employ his wife and it, it creates an awkward situation if you're not employing both of them. B, it creates us a, a, um, a perception in the rest of the world that some of the most important stars, if not the most important stars, work for WWE, right? Um, it when when they're given the chance. See, it prevents CMLL, New Japan, Ring of Honor, TNA, or Impact, uh, and anybody else in the world from being able to claim Daniel Bryan on their roster. And so it, it, it locks him up. And so for those reasons alone, I think they would easily pay the, uh, you know, the, the the fee basically of, you know, what does it cost to keep Daniel Bryan? Half a million dollars a year, maybe a million dollars a year. They'll pay that in a heartbeat because it has so much goodwill towards them. And the last piece is I think Daniel Bryan does feel some loyalty to them in the sense that they worked with him to resolve his health issues. And you can very easily turn that around on him and say, wouldn't you like to continue working with WWE as we we aspire to improve the brain sensitivity and outcomes for people that work for the, us, the biggest company in the world? And there's no other company in the world that can really make that same promise to him, right? Because no one else has the resources, the, the, the breadth, or the testing that WWE is doing. For all the crap people give WWE about their testing, it's still world's higher than every other league in america and japan and europe and mexico yeah that is true you, you look at things that happen with shibata and and wonder what else who, who else is on the brink of something similar well takiyama and other people like that be like yeah. wow and and you, and you can say the same things too about wv you know the, the the line of if daniel bryan couldn't get cleared who else if they were subjected to the same testing couldn't get cleared also Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think Randy Orton's had a lot of concussion issues and, and other people, too. So Dolph and whatnot. So that that would be, you know, real big question marks. And it would even, in a way, I think it's such a great story because you have the ability to say, look at what we could maybe start doing as preventive treatment. You know, you do really wonder if there's guys out there in MMA or wrestling who are now looking at this and saying, oh, my God, what if I start getting this treatment now? Could I maybe uh, uh, ward off getting Alzheimer's in 20 years from now? Or being, you know, having a degenerative brain disease. So I, I do really hope that some of these people, you know, are being able to get the information they need about that. And that's that's the biggest problem about something like this is that we've had lots of treatments that look like they're going to be panaceas that haven't panned out. You know, people have brought up the example of, of Kurt Angle when he got that minimally invasive neck surgery. And, you know, people thought, oh, this is going to stop all, everyone having to get neck surgery for, you know, and be out for 18 months like Edge and Steve Austin and everyone else. And in the end, that didn't turn out to be, you know, quite the quick fix that everyone hoped for, which is more realistic when you think about it, right? Is that if you break your neck, you break your neck. You got to you got to heal from that. Um, and I, I do think that one of the one of the issues that has come up with the new testing for them is that when guys could take steroids kind of unregulated, it helped them work through injuries and work through other things. And they could take so much to go to sleep and they could take pain pills to deal with the man things. And in some ways, what I hope is that now guys are basically being forced to take time off because, you know, I, I would rather you're in a situation where you're not taking steroids and pain pills and everything to manage your injuries and continuing to work versus just actually having to leave and heal up and not be in that situation at all and not continuing to subject your body to trauma. And I do think guys will end up having longer careers in the end with a wellness era. Yeah. I, I mean, like, 
taking bumps in CTE is something that I think about a lot. Like I'm not I'm obviously not a full time wrestler or anything, but I in training and stuff it depends on the week. But I do take a lot of bumps like every week now. Will and you be Will you be setting up a, a a training area in your basement of your new house? Maybe some apartment wrestling or something, or uh, just pay some guys to come over and and you know work on some moves with you. No, you'll have to do customs elsewhere. Um, I, uh, but I, I do. It gave me a lot of pause when Daniel Bryan retired, and and, and made me think about you know subconcussive blows in a way that I hadn't really thought about, or at least not that much, and then thought about it in a way that like oh this could affect the rest of your life, and and we're taking, I don't know if we're taking a, a gamble so much as like we're even like committing that yeah we're there's I'm subjecting myself to a high level of risk when it comes to head injuries and things like Alzheimer's and whatever other degenerative brain issues I might have in the future. So like every bump I take, I, I may be putting myself at higher and higher and higher risk. But you could say that too about every drink you take, every puff of a cigarette you take, everything else. And so unless you're living as some kind of like non-drinking vegan, what are you, what are you doing with mm-hmm. your life? Right. But the, the, those are all very serious concerns as well. <laughs> you know? Do you know anyone who lives as a non-drinking vegan? Non-drinking vegan? Oh, many, many people. Oh, okay. where, should, where should we start? We could do a podcast. We'll, do, we'll say that for the Patreon edition. Yeah, yeah. But um, so that that's the Daniel Bryan story. Is there anything else left to cover on that? Uh, we talked about the business, right? Um, I think we're good. What, yeah, what's yeah. The last, what's the last? Line I, I mean, I think. Outline? Well, I guess, I guess yeah, the yeah, the, we're good. We, the only other thing that is worth kind of talking about is is uh, where does he go on at WrestleMania? Does he risk upstaging? other WrestleMania matches by his match being the crowd being so much more into it. Ah, that's not a problem. I, I, I will admit I'm, I'm more interested in going to WrestleMania now with the idea of him wrestling there. And that's why I think WWE needs to sign him and, and they know it is that, that he's his, his marquee value is through the roof and their marginal value that they have to pay to retain him is easily achievable. You know, mm-hmm. if he, if he wants to play hardball with them, he could, and he could, get a big money deal or he could walk away. But I think instead he's going to try to play the long game and say, I'd rather be a brand ambassador for 10 years afterwards. And let me sign the contract that gives me, you know, the ability to, to scale up and scale down versus yeah, I do think he'll stay versus playing the Brock Lesnar game where you're basically saying, give me all the money now and I'm going to hold you up every time we have to do this. So I, I think he's going to stay. Yeah. I think as long as he can wrestle, he'll stay, he'll stay working for, for this company that'll you know probably take care of him well enough, and I, I, I imagine he's you know he, he probably has a lot of social connections in the company as well. Obviously, his wife works for the company, yeah. So I think he'll be content to stay there. And and you know think he's, that he's so excited about the prospect of wrestling for New Japan that he's going to forego what he has with WWE, especially when he sees guys like Nakamura who are leaving New Japan to go work with with work yeah. WWE, and you know they're even just signing some new you know uh, uh, CMLL talent or AAA talent. I don't know whether um, which place they're working for, but what are they saying? Like Garza Junior was maybe one of them, or uh, they they had some other luchadors that were coming in recently. And so I know one thing that Daniel Bryan had always dreamed about was, you know, kind of working for CMLL. And so I'm I'm looking forward to the Grand Metal League Daniel Bryan match on main event some week. You know, that's going to be incredible. That'll be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, speaking of Lucha talent, speaking of Lucha, uh, Aero mm. Lucha, uh, which yes. had a big article in the Tennessean this week. Which they, you can invest in right now. Yeah. So they are coming out. Um, a guy named Jason Brown is their co-founder, CEO. He was someone who worked at Aero Lux. Um, helped fund a lot of the impact taste tapings for many years there. 
or not for many years, but for a period of time there. It's a Nashville-based company. Um, and the idea is that they're selling shares of their stock to non-credited investors. And uh, it, it lets you raise up to about a million dollars by selling a minority stake. So basically what they're doing is they're valuing their company as saying they're worth $10 million. And then they're saying we'll sell up to 10% of the stock to minority owners. And then you get kind of what I would like to call um, patron times 10 benefits <laughs> uh, here. Yeah. You get access to a Facebook group. You get uh, invitation to select uh, live and online events. You get to participate in surveys and polls. And you get a 10% lifetime discount on merchandise. And that's if you uh, you spend 100 bucks. If you spend 200 bucks or more, you you get um, it, the all the things I mentioned in a mask. And if you spend 500 or more, you get uh, an access code to watch the pilot. Um, that seems Which won't be, be pirated. Yeah, that seems like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So actually, I don't think it's going to be pirated because at this rate, uh, the number of people who have access to it is is countable on one hand. Um, but it's interesting to see, to say the least, about this. So it, it's a new way of raising money for sure. Uh, I think they keep saying we're going to do a Lucha Libre style, a family-friendly approach. Um, and basically, if you read their whole pitches, it goes through what you'll hear a lot of people say if you go to an MBA class. Hispanics are growing really fast. They're underserved. They have more buying potential. Why don't we come up with entertainment that will connect to them? You know, you, you I've seen this a thousand times in everything from the grocery industry to entertainment. You know, people saying, how can I reach the Hispanic marketplace better? What can I do to make my brand kind of attached to that and, and be good? Um the these the selling the the money is really funny because it's like literally it says on the page on this wefunder.com that you you basically are buying a 9.5 million pre money valuation at three dollars a share is what you're doing when you when you invest in this company is that the company is worth about a hundred million dollars in their I, mind. I, I, I like this idea I think we should steal it. And, oh, uh, sell stock in WrestleNomics. What do you think? Sell a ten percent minority share and then call it. Tell everybody that it's going to be worth that much. Now, yeah, I mean, be, I mean, if they're worth ten million, well, be worth at least one million. So, what's really important to, to to look at is that a they are filing some documents with the SEC. So you can go to the SEC page and look at some of the stuff they filed, and that gives you a lot of detail about how they're getting to these. Um, the point they're at right now. And what copy and pasting uh, sentences from other SEC filings. Yes, we'll get to that in a second. But with with all the funding that they're doing here, what's kind of entertaining is that you look at um, all of these these uh, amounts and you see that they themselves have poured in. Ah, oh, let's see here, $250,000 or more. At the very bottom of their webpage, it says other disclosures, and you click on that, and it'll take you to the SEC website, and then it has a list of all the documents that they filed, and I think document number 10 is a very long one where it has their articles in corporation, has the number of shares that they're doing. Uh, document number two, maybe, is the one where it's super-duper long, and it, it one of them mentions how much money has actually been filed by other people in the company. And uh, I'm just trying to find that that list right now because what was entertaining about it was, as someone pointed out, um, the Harris brothers have each put in about $77,000. And someone's like, oh, I would have thought they would have put in about $11,000 more. So they've been $88,000, which is a white supremacy joke, essentially. But what this says here is that Aerolux Media um, owns a bunch of the shares. 
Uh, they got him for free, so that must be because they split it off from Errol Lux or something. Uh, Jason Brown, the CEO, put in about $200,000. And Kathy Campbell, who is their chief capital officer, put in about $19,000. Her husband, who's the chief capital officer, put in about $19,000. And the Harris brothers put in about $77,000 apiece. So in total, they did maybe $400,000 of money has been invested in this already. So part of, I think, their valuation is basically them saying, we're we're investing this money here, and this is the share value we're giving to this and for other people to come in. So the, the challenge I'm getting at is with Russell Nomic stock, I think we would have to invest a lot of money to then make it worth that much more. Now, in theory, you can invest very little and just say that we're going to own you know 1% of the company and be putting up 99% for other people to buy. Um, but there's a lot of detail in here about how they are doing this. And, you know, what is their burn rate? I think they said something like their burn rate here. Revenues have averaged $24,000 a month and cost of goods has averaged $110,000 a month. Operational expenses have averaged $26,000 a month for an average burn rate of $111,000 a month. Uh, so in other words, and total cash on hand as of March is seventy grand. Our intent is to be profitable in 10, 12 months. And we hope to drop our burn rate to only ten dollars to $15,000 a month. So it's a uh, very interesting amount. They do mention that the SEC in this Tennessean article found that the median amount of money raised by this method is about $171,000. Uh, so you can go to this website, wefunder.com, and you can and, and come. they've run events already. They've done like TV pilots? Yes. So they did a couple shows. They, they kind of called them pilots, and then they also kind of called them test shows. Mm-hmm. Um, like they said, and, that, and that, were the fans paying for tickets? Or they well, comped? they said revenue was $24,000 a month, which my guess is that you could probably say between all of those shows, let's say they drew 1,500 people. Yeah, 20, which is what they say in one of these, uh, yeah. in, the, in that article, it reads like a press release. So if you do twenty twenty four thousand dollars divided by 1500 people at 16 bucks a ticket. So maybe there was 10 to 15 bucks. Maybe it was, but at the same time, I would not be surprised if it turned out to be some kind of shady thing where it's like they Aero Lux paid them, you know, paid themselves the money to run the shows. In particular, they mentioned all the sponsors they have. They had like Modelo, a beer and a sprint, uh, of Nashville and some other things paid them sponsorship money. It could be all sponsor money then. Yeah, so it might it might just all be sponsor money is what I'm actually thinking it probably is. And that would make more sense to say, you know, this guy gave me 10 grand, this guy gave me 10 grand, this guy gave me five grand, and then we did five grand in ticket sales, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, they're not breaking it down to a live event segment. No, 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 no. So I, again, there's this, this Schedule C filing that you can go into, and I, I encourage people to go into. I kind of feel sometimes like I might be the only person reading this stuff. Um, but hopefully the investors are actually reading all this stuff. <laughs> um, what? Yeah, and again, yeah, they, they think they have a $9.5 million um, value. And basically the people involved in this company are Jason Brown, the CEO, Bill Campbell and Kathy Campbell, who are the chief capital officers, who when I look it up, it's basically a guy and his wife and that he kind of runs some kind of um, fund in Nashville, like an investment fund. And then Ron Harris and Don Harris, who are the VP of Talent Relations and the VP of Production, uh, respectively. And they both, have, of course, have worked for Aerolux in the past. And then they mention – when you read through here, it mentions Conan is your head writer. It mentions Ray Mysterio as, quote, the advisory board member and shareholder. Though in that long document that I read through, nowhere is Ray Mysterio actually listed as investing. Now, that's not to say he didn't invest. 
because I do think he did in some way, you know, um, put some money in. But again, your buy, your your, you know, your buy-in price is a hundred to two hundred dollars, and for all we know, he either invested or he might have just returned some of the money that they owed him for his fee to perform on their other shows. I was going to say, what if they just gave him stock? I, I'm sure the in-kind contribution. There's some kind of thing about it. Um, at some point, I wouldn't be surprised if they have to, you know, ex- disclose what they mean by him being part of that. You know, they refer to him over and over again as an advisory board and an owner of Aerolucha on the uh, on the website here. So they, they make the claim over and over again that he is an owner. But again, if I invest one hundred dollars, I can be an owner. So, you know, it, it doesn't say much. And he is certainly not listed in those tens and twenties and seventies and hundreds of thousands of dollars that the other people who are on the board seem to be doing. So I think we can easily imply he's he's invested less than fifteen thousand dollars and he probably has invested less than that. <laughs> we'll leave it open. So, you know, it was. Dave Meltzer basically said on Wrestling Observer Radio that Ray is not uh, in a position where he is he is necessarily going to just go work for this company. He is still negotiating with WWE. He was just going to, I think, Alabama for some more testing, uh, which is where they always send people, you know, to Huntsville beforehand uh, to get their medicals. So he – Dave is certainly – I thought it was Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh for some. I've also heard of going to Huntsville if you have other kind of surgery or other kind Wait, of consultation. James Andrews is in Birmingham. Yeah. Birmingham. Maybe it was Birmingham. Yeah. Anyway. But yes, that idea. But, you know, they, they send you down there a lot of times if they want you to look, be looked at by one of their specialists. So mm-hmm. uh, there's something to be said there. Um, I've been tracking their funding numbers. So uh, on the 20th, I looked up and this was, you know, many days after this article posted. This article posted on the 18th. So on the 20th, I looked it up and there were seven investors and they had raised twelve hundred and forty five dollars. Mm-hmm. So again, if you have raised twelve forty five on seven investors, that's one hundred and seventy seven dollars a piece. So if it's a one hundred dollar level and a two hundred dollar level, it means about three quarters of the people are buying the two hundred dollar level, and one person's buying the one hundred dollar level. But again, it's seven people, so it's pretty small. That's a great start for a Patreon. Yeah, eight people. It well, is it though? Because think about how much that. money. Well, it's a thousand. How many days? It's a thousand. $1,245, but that's uh-huh. the total amount. So if I divide that 177 over 12, that's $15 a month. So they got seven people to give them a Patreon for $15 a month. Mm-hmm. That's not that much. No, it's not. And that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's good for a Patreon. Uh, I don't know. I would say that's pretty low for a Patreon because if you think over three years here, that Patreon is going to be making more with $10 a month and seven people than this this fund is going to make. Okay. Now, on the next day, on the 21st, they had $1,344. So they went up by $99. So one person invested up for basically the $100 level. Then on the next day, they had nine investors. Suddenly, this number jumped from 1344 to 51342 So they had an investor who invested $49,998. Which is it you? It was not me. Which to me is weird because, yeah. like I said to you, a the chief, uh, the chief capital officers in this company, they only invested about nineteen grand a piece, right? Mm-hmm. They get very good ownership stake in this. They get you know very high shares and they have a position in the company. Somebody put in fifty grand. 
and basically is getting T-shirt, a mask, a Facebook group, a survey link, and the option to watch a TV show. Seems suspicious to me, like it's not someone trying to basically, you know, self-fund so that they don't embarrass themselves. So I would at least split it up into a number of investments. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe you're required to, you know, make it clear that it's you. Uh, and so you can't make repeated uh, investments. I I would think so. But I just thought that was really shady that it's a $50,000 one chunk investment. Um, for basically getting no benefit. You know, like, if you want $50,000, go to the company privately and say, by the way, you have a $9.5 million valuation, and as far as I can tell, you've only sold, like, 20% of the shares. Let me buy in 10% of your shares. So that was really weird to me, um, that someone would, would show up on this thing if you're not just trying to save face and make it seem like, now, if I divide 51,342 divided by, you know, um, nine people... It makes it seem like everyone's investing fifty seven hundred dollars. So now it may, you know, if you if you walk into this thing, you think, oh my gosh, everyone's putting five grand in. I better put five grand in. Now we are up. Well, I think anybody who's going to think about that is going to do the basic math, right? Well, but they wouldn't know that there was a fifty grand investor unless I had called that out. Is my point? Oh, okay. So if you're walking into this cold, you might think, oh, the average amount people put in is five grand. So even though it says two hundred dollars here, most people are putting in five grand a piece. The reality is one person put in fifty grand, everyone else did two hundred. And there's no way on this WeFund site to see that oh, there's only this many investors. Well it lists you. it did list you what it is. It doesn't list the histogram of the amounts. Um that's why I'm tracking it. So as of today, uh, oh, I see what you're saying. So, so you would do the basic math, and you would see that oh, people are investing five thousand. I see it, but you wouldn't see the individual like there was one investment for fifty thousand dollars. You wouldn't yes. be able to see that. No, you can't see that as far as I can tell. Okay. So today it's thirty-one investors, fifty-five thousand nine hundred and fourteen dollars. Um, if I subtract out the one investment for fifty grand, that's thirty people raising about six thousand dollars. So it's right at that two hundred dollar level. Thirty people paid two hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. So that is. You know, that that's that's a fine number. I'm not saying that's a bad number. It's not a great number for a wrestling company that says they want to take on WWE and actually promote a tel- to ve- television show. You know, again, this is – Good for a podcast. Is what yes, it's good for a podcast. It's good for a digital marketing company or something. Um, it, it's fine for a startup. I think it's fine for a wrestling company. I just don't think it's fine for a wrestling company that's trying to be as big as it is. You know, and so it's got some real interesting question marks to me. And, you know, again, same people here who were wanting to buy impact and pay for impact and own impact. And so in a certain way, I'm like, these are the same people that threw that money against impact thinking they could turn it around and make it valuable. So, you know, there's a history of this. Um, as pointed out by Lucha blog, who's been doing a good job of covering this. And I think, I think honestly, not to toot my own horn, but I, I kind of feel like I might have raised the profile of the fact you could invest in this company by tweeting all about it. Because for a couple of days there, there was no movement at all on people investing in this. And now it's doubled and tripled in the last few days. So I don't know whether this was because um, when the 50000 came in, people started to you know get off their butts if there was a new story that went out, if other things. But I was tweeting about it a whole bunch, as was other people. So I do wonder if you know that helped kind of get the story out there a little bit more. Um, you, should, you should tell them you want your cut. <laughs> I don't want my cut. I don't want to be part of that lawsuit. <laughs> um, 
if there was ever one, hypothetically. If there, if there was ever one. Um, yeah. But but Lucha Blog uh, made a great point of saying under their risk factors here, they clearly cribbed a whole bunch of stuff from WWE's filing about CTE and whatnot. But they basically wrote at one point, liability to us resulting from any death or serious injury sustained by one of our performers while performing not to the extent not covered by an, our insurance could adversely affect our business, financial condition, and operating results. As noted below, we are the defendant in a litigation claim, claiming that the professional wrestling as currently and historically performed by us has resulted in significant injuries to our performers, including but not in – Limited to chronic traumatic encephalopathy. I can't say the encephalopathy. Thank you, CTE. So, so they're already being sued for CTE. Yeah, and so there's there's a little part of me that wants to be like, hey, can I add a Q and A in here that says, by the way, you basically implied in a document that you're showing to investors that you're part of a lawsuit that you're not part of. Isn't that a problem? And so I would just say that's a huge red flag for me that a company is that laissez-faire with what they're doing, that not only did they crib the stuff from WWE, which I kind of expected them to do, but they didn't read it close enough to even realize that they were implying they were part of a lawsuit, which in my mind is a huge red flag. You don't want – you know, the, the, for them, it's an easy cleanup. Stop implying that. But it also says what is your level of due diligence? That you don't notice that you're doing that, and it's still up. asked in the comments on that. No, I don't think anyone in the comments has actually posted that yet. Um, and I, that's why I'm saying I, part of me thinks like, hey, should I ask this question to get this person to answer, or should I just leave it be? Um, you know. And so here, I'm just going to check right now to see if it it says, um, <sighs> you know, there's questions like, has anyone tried this before? And he's like, well, I don't think anyone's ever tried a a, a company where you can be one of the shareholders. Uh, how do you measure success? Well, are the fans happy? Uh, do you consider WWE a competitor? And he's like, I consider them a role model. Um, and uh, but gosh, I, I want to find this risk factors thing to see whether or not that they still are are listing this or not on here. Um, such a role model, they want to be involved risks. in a lawsuit just like them. Yeah. So on the bottom on under risks, when I go to number uh, ten, they have taken it out. They've taken it. So they have caught someone. They finally. Are they following you on Twitter? Well, no, they're not, though. Somebody else told me every time that that they get mentioned on Twitter, um, they note it that they they vanity searched it. Well, well, Lavi tweeted us and says every time someone mentions Aerolux, this Aerolux CEO. Yeah. And he he never mentioned it to me. But I will say when they like the tweet, when I tweeted out. So I was going through what, looking at the funding on this thing, looking at the risk factors, and I was like, well, there's only seven people. You know, we, we've only had seven ish people who want to invest in this thing, and it seems to be kind of dead. Um, and it, for several days, it sat at seven. And so I, I was looking at it. And I thought, oh, there's a Q and A here. And so I looked at this Q and A, and then I reformatted it a little bit. So if you see it like pictured, you'll notice that it's it's formatted in a way that doesn't appear on the website because I reformatted it so it fit in a tweet nicely. Um, so it'll be very easy to see if someone is just copying what I put, what I did or not. Um, and basically, there was a question by Andrew Bushnell, um, and there's a little kind of Q and A section on the Aerolux thing here. And they say basically, you can ask a question to people and say, um, "Well, Trevor Dame, on um, one of the earliest days here, on the very bottom here, wrote. Oh my gosh! In fact, I think they del- no. Here it is. Um, yeah, uh, Trevor Dame." On March 19th wrote, why do two of your key employees, Ron and Dan, 
Don Harris have SS tattoos. And why did you hire Vince Russo, a man who said Americans don't want to see Lucha as a script supervisor? And then on the 19th, Andrew Bushnell followed up and said, what Trevor Dame has – in fact, have, are you looking at the website? Can you read the question? Uh, Jason Brown's answer? Well, just read Andrew's question first. Yeah, let me make it bigger here. Or it's on the website if you can't find it. It's under the Ask, ask a Question yeah, section. He said, he said, what, what Trevor Dane pointed out about Ron and Don Harris wearing Nazi-sympathetic T-shirts and tattoos is very concerning. Uh, I am unfamiliar with wrestling, but it didn't take more than 10 seconds on Google to confirm. I, too, would like to know what the motivation was associating the company with these individuals. I'm not interested in investing or in any way being involved with a company that would support or condone racist ideology in any context. Please explain the decision-making process around bringing on these two individuals as key players. So this is Jason Brown, the CEO, the founder, the guy who's invested more than a, more than $200,000 in this company and worked in Aerolux. And in a, a different one here, he, he specifically says something around the lines of, um, you know, I uh, – through a separate company we own, my partners and I filmed approximately 100 – episodes of professional wrestling for impact that aired on pop. So he was talking about, you know, these are the same people I worked with then. So he goes, hi, Andy. I feel like the, I feel like the statement could be started off with, you know, pull up a chair, kid. Let, let me uh, sit under the tree of knowledge here. Yeah. So Jason Brown, the CEO guy who put 200 of his 200,000 of his own dollars in this said, hi, Andrew, we appreciate your question, and the opportunity to address this subject. You mentioned you are unfamiliar with wrestling. So we want to understand how a comment like this could. So we understand how a comment like this could raise concerns. Ron and Don Harris were performers for the WWE and other popular promotions during their wrestling careers. When they were on TV, they were characters. It referred to as a gimmick where their character or gimmick were bikers. They also worked at a time in the industry where there's something called kayfabe, which is basically saying you never broke character. There are verifiable stories where the good guys are baby faces. were not allowed to be seen after work with the bad guys or heels. So in essence, if they were a feud on television, they had to had to kayfabe that they were in the feud in real life and never break character. Then he goes off on some examples here. For example, Nelson Simpson was an American wrestler who was given a Russian gimmick where he played Nikita Koloff. Nelson went as far as to legally change his name to Nikita Koloff to stay in character. I mean, come on. Socialism and Nazism, they're basically the same thing. The Harris brothers' TV personalities and gimmicks were as bikers, but they were about as far away from Nazi sympathizers as the East is from the West and were in no way involved in that culture, behavior, or activity. This was much like the wrestler whose character or gimmick was the junkyard dog. However, he did not work in a junkyard, nor was he part dog, just as the wrestler known as The Undertaker wasn't in the film. The junkyard dog business. never cut promos about how he lived in a junkyard or, or that he was an actual dog. But anyway. The images that on. you have seen in your Google search were costume and TV personas that Ron and Don played while working for wrestling promotions during their career as wrestlers, including the WWE and TNA. I can speak for the multiple professionals attached to Aero Lucha that we would not have – People who displayed these characteristics involved in this company. We are excited about the Aero Lucha team, and the Harris brothers are a huge part of the equation. Both are men. Both men are of excellent character, and Ron Harris brings a wealth of professional wrestling knowledge in operations, talent relations, and productions. He is also a Christian and was featured on the Christian Broadcasting Network in this article. Ron's last company has a verifiable history of doing pro bono work for the Joseph School in Haiti, supporting Haitian orphans and their educations. And there's a link to the 700 Club. 
Don Harris, also a Christian, has an infinite amount of experience. I mean, come on. They're both Christians. How can they be bad people? Has an infinite amount of experience in the wrestling business in regards to performance production and live events. Don has a biracial family, an adopted Filipino daughter, and sponsors children in Bangladesh and Haiti. We've included a picture of his family. And there's a link to a Dropbox uh, uh, article, which is funny because he loves Dropbox. He keeps using this every time he wants to share something, which is not a very easy way of sharing things. Uh, Andrew, thanks again for your she, she should really do Imager instead. It's a little bit more concise. The dream, purpose, and mission of Aero Lucha is to build the first great fan-owned Lucha Libre sports and entertainment company. We strongly believe in the foundation for accomplishing everything Everything that we, – we strongly believe in the foundation for everything – Accomplishing this starts with living out our eight core values outlined above. Everyone associated with Aero Lucha team shares these core values. A big part of the excitement around this opportunity are the fans themselves and the culture and the values they represent. And I will list the eight values right now just so that I have here. Please do. The, Please the, do. They have an eight core system. Their guiding principles of ser- servant leadership, excellence in business, be resourceful, listen, transfer passion, value relationships, be generous, and develop others. These principles, these values are our North Star. We filter every decision and thought process, every strategy through them. The wrestling industry, in my opinion, has been a industry that has been operating counter or in opposition to these principles in the past. It is exciting for us to go into an industry and become a light. Are we leaving people in places better than we found them? And that's the question. If people or companies want to connect with the Hispanic or Latino audiences, we feel like Aero Lucha is a great family oriented vehicle to accomplish that. Lucha Libre is theirs. It has always been theirs. So we're giving it back to them. And I, I will also mention that um, by appearances, uh, Jason looks to me like uh, he is maybe Asian or Hispanic. Um, I, I, I don't I don't know his background, but he he does he does look to me that he might not be Caucasian, even though the rest of the team is a Caucasian male. Um, mm-hmm. So, or and actually, and female, but uh, I, there's that element too. Uh, I I posted this and I just said, "Have a look here, everybody." <laughs> And I wanted people to honestly look at this and think about it. And I did not think that this was a viable excuse for a very serious question. And here's here's my take on it. And I'll, I'll just say my piece and then other people can, can chime in. And I, I even had a few people want to argue with me on Twitter about it. And I tried to respectfully go back and forth with them to say here's that doesn't work well and, and I think David David Bix and I both had a very similar approach, which is to say if you want to say, you know what, it was reprehensible that we wore – we got Nazi tattoos and we repent. We think that that was a bad choice on our part. And you know what? Mm-hmm. I got those tattoos taken off and I care about the wrestling industry and I have changed as a person in my life. And that you know what? I am I'm, I'm a Christian now and I, I realize that that was, that was wrong of me to act in that way and be discriminatory. I realize it was – even if I didn't mean it in an offensive way, it offended a lot of people because whether or not I meant it in reality or not, I was giving a voice to people who are white supremacists and make, emboldening them with my actions and my behaviors. That would be a way of taking accountability, acknowledging mm-hmm. what you've done wrong. And then saying how you've changed or that you're different in some way. Instead, and that that sounds like what my guess would be about an honest explanation of what really happened. I think that is an honest explanation of probably what they have said to other people privately. Hmm. You know, and that you know, I I I'm sure I I get the I mean, if you have been in an evangelical situation before, there is a lot of 
I don't want to say triggers, but there's a lot of words here that he's using that strongly indicate that uh, Jason Brown is a Christian um, and is using a a lot of kind of lenses of Christian philosophy, especially evangelical philosophies, to talk about the way he wants to run this company and be a light in the world and you know trusting other Christians who have shown that they they are important people um, and and works over you know words sort of things so i you you definitely read between the lines and you can see that there's a lot of that here that he thinks they are men of decent character and that he finds this offensive i think it is an absolute smokescreen to bring up the fact that wrestlers are not the people they play on television and pretend that's the same as saying wrestlers that have nazi tattoos are not nazis because as we would know there's not a wrestling company in the last 25 years that has really seemed to want to push uh, 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 a Nazi gimmick that I can think of that has been like a, a, a high profile publicly traded company for sure. Um, there have been examples of companies, I guess Alex Wright in Berlin that have, yeah, that have done gimmicks. And, and of course, you know, the, the Von Erichs and whatnot for many years and the Von Brauers, Brunners and other people, you know, for many years did lots of Nazi gimmicks. I mean, they, they thrived for years. But we could also look at something and say, how did how did WWE react to JBL, uh, you know, doing things in Germany and things like that, where it, it wasn't, quote unquote, getting heat and a joke. Uh, and then on top of that, there's lots of stories where people say the timelines don't match to say, why did they get in get these tattoos? Uh, uh, the story that going around all week has been that they showed them to Raven and then they got kicked out of ECW because Heyman and Raven basically were like, we don't want you here. Why did they get these tattoos and when they were the Blue Brothers, which were not biker gimmicks? Why did they wear an SS shirt in the mid-2000s on TNA television when it was clear, you know, that this is years after what they had to do when they were bikers in WWF? Uh, why why – Junkyard Dog thing is nothing to do with this. Nikita Koloff has nothing to do with that. And then to even say they changed their names to live the gimmick, half the times they changed their names so that someone else couldn't stop them from doing the gimmick. Um, it was a, a commercial decision more than, you know, the same reason that um, uh, Boris Zukov is Boris Zukov. So he, he can't be stopped on shows from using the name Boris Zukov. Um, you know, it's and and what what offends me the most is the I've got a black friend argument to say I can't be racist. I've got a black friend. I can't be racist because I've got a biracial family. And that's right. And, and it's, you can't possibly be right. It's just, you know, if you know, people of, of diverse backgrounds. Or yeah. Anything. And so it's, it's just offensive to me to pretend that you can skate around an issue of saying, I can attest to the character of this person and the fact that they've owned up to their mistakes or their shortcomings versus being like, you're wrong and you're a fool for believing in wrestling and that it's your mistake because these people couldn't possibly be, be awful. Yeah. And as I, you just don't understand wrestling. You see, yeah. So I, 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 um, I, I, as I pointed out, I don't see that he's going to leave, you know, that they're going to kick him out. I said, I think it's absolute bullshit to pretend that the Harris brothers were wearing white supremacist T-shirts and Nazi tattoos because they were playing the role of bikers for professional wrestling. They deserve mm-hmm. to be called out for those life choices and account for them. Then later on, I wrote, if the I can't be a racist, see if a black friend excuse, excuse works for you, cool beans. Wrestling is full of scummy people who make poor life decisions. I choose to be skeptical of the unapologetic guys who got the Nazi tattoos. Mm-hmm. So um, that that's my my take on it is that it's a business full of people that are terrible 
And then if I see people who acted terrible, I'm going to think of them as terrible people. I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to wait for them to somehow show that they are not terrible people. And most of all, I will. I would like to see them actually show some repentance or contrivance on their or, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Being 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 you know sympathetic to the the fact that they did things that people thought were audaciously terrible. Reparations. Not not even reparate. Just like showing showing that they take responsibility for their actions and apologizing for it, and also understanding that they're harming the brand that they're being associated with. Because you know what, nobody cares. I would argue they're they're harming the industry that they're associated with. Yeah, everything. And so it's just like the same reason why some people you could say, "Hey, Vince Verso, you said this once in an interview, and it showed up in a court case." Isn't this proof that this is something you felt like? And you can at least respond to that versus staying mm-hmm. quiet and calling somebody else an idiot for believing wrestling is real and that kayfabe is kayfabe. There's not a long history of people going and getting tattoos on their body to to further their gimmicks all that much. The 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 one example that came to mind was when John Tenta uh, adjusted his like tiger tattoo to be like a shark tattoo so he could be shark in, in WCW. Yeah. But – it's it's baffling to me and it's it's offensive and i think it's it's downright a a terrific reason why you can see this guy the ceo who seems like a nice guy is probably getting worked and and you know i'm sure they that as men of character they have changed how they've acted in some ways and i don't even know if they had a reputation of being terrible people backstage but i do think that if you have friends that have nazi tattoos and you don't in some way confront them and say you know what I don't think that sends a good message for my company, and I don't understand why you did that, and I think you should have to account for it. Then I think you yourself should take a long, hard look at who you're pointing the finger at. Yeah. Well, I think that the best workers don't know when they're not working. They're just working all the time. Um, I, I, I think his response to this – and by the way, the question didn't even ask about Vince Russo, so he did not respond to you know the issues around Vince Russo and Vince Russo saying that nobody wants to see you know Lucha Libre or Mexican wrestlers. And and to be fair, that was 15 years ago. He said that, and I think to me, that, I don't I don't believe that Vince Russo has a has, has had a genuine change of heart since then, though. I don't think he has in the slightest bit. But I do think that um, you know it's you, you are grabbing things, you grabbing a statement that someone said 15 years ago in That's an interview. Cool. And just saying, like, let's pretend that that's where you stand today, where you could just say, all I have to do is talk to Vince Russo and say, hey, the world has changed in 20 years. You're right. I've learned a lot versus having a tattoo or something. It's like that's that's a pretty big choice. Like that's that's more than just what you said in a moment. And the fact that there's a time and time and time again, people can find these examples. So I think J- Jason's Brown response uh just a couple sentences from it again. When on TV, they were in character, referred to as a gimmick, where their character or gimmick were as bikers. They also worked at a time in the industry when there was something called, quote, kayfabe, which was basically saying that you were that you never broke character. Um, and I think this, like, this this shines a light on like a, a big problem in wrestling. I, th- I think especially when we we like debate about social issues related to wrestling and related to wrestling angles. The, the person who wants to, to defend somebody doing something socially reprehensible in an angle will say, oh, it's just like a TV or, or movie. Like there's lots of TV shows and movies that deal with with social issues and things like that. But I think, as I often say, wrestling straddles this rare place between live sports and scripted entertainment. So that I think we need we can't rely on the analogies of TV or of movies or even of live sports to 
get satisfying answers about like what's acceptable and what's not. Especially when you have the a personal accountability of being able to say, I can reject this. I don't have to go on television and say this. I find it right. reprehensible for me to say this or do this or participate in this way. And and you have those options. Whereas if you're in a movie, you can say, I, I reject this role. I don't want to do this anymore. Or you can say, I am playing a character. Can we make it clear I'm a character? Right. Here you have people who half the time are using their real names or using their characters outside of wrestling just as much. Right. And, and, and so his response to me doesn't sound – I guess it does sound like a lot of people who have been in, in the industry who I think, despite being so deep in the forest, they just don't know what the what the what the forest really looks like. Like he's, he's describing wrestling in a way that I that I think I've heard a lot of people describe it, but I don't think that's the way it really is, and I don't think that's the way that audiences really deal with it. And and I I also don't think that because you do a terrible thing that you're irredeemable for the rest of your life. You're you're, you're banished for. Life. But you, I do think everyone should have to take accountability. And I think it's important to take accountability for the things you say and do and the, the, the beliefs you have. You know, there were some great exchanges actually on um, – when, when Bix kind of retweeted this, some other people talking about, you know, when I was this age, I would have said things were, quote, super gay. And it's like, yeah. you know, I think that was wrong of me to do that because it, it was in a way that was demeaning and mean and, and, and I was wrong to say it that way. And I didn't necessarily mean something terrible by it, but I was wrong to, to act and say like that. And I've, I've grown as a human and I accept that that was inappropriate and especially it could be hurtful. And I think it's like that sort of realization to say, I recognize I did this. I am accountable for it and I've changed and I understand why it was hurtful and harmful and wrong. And there's so little of that in wrestling where it's, you know, I complained about it with the Jericho book. And I don't think Jericho has anything really to do with the story beyond saying I, I never care for when it seems like he's just saying, well, I was working. And therefore, if you get angry at me or you're annoyed by me, I'm a worker. And so it's good. And all heat is good heat. And it's like I, I hate the idea of rationalizing everything as good just because it gets a response rather than being like, is it worth, you know, threatening to kill someone's dog on live stream to get a wrestling angle response like Rob Black did the one time, you know? Well, but really, it's a, that a thing of just that that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was an XPW angle back in the day. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you know, that's that's a famous one. Yeah. Just so when people get to that level of absurdity of just trying to 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 rationalize no matter what happens that it's just all for the better good of a work, I I think it's just awful. And yeah. you know, I think he's everyone agrees he's shooting himself in the foot to bring with him the baggage of impact. And then on top of that, bring the baggage of two guys who a lot of people in today's climate look at and say, aren't those guys former white supremacists? Weren't they Nazi gimmicks? Right. What do they have to do with Lucha Libre? What do they know about Lucha Libre? And then you have Conan coming on and Rey Mysterio ba basically being these half faces where they're like, these guys are part of our organization. They're not putting any money into it, but we're going to use their names and their clout as much as we can to try to buy some credibility here. And then I think you, you said an episode or two ago, I think one of the factors that hurts wrestling and hurts its perception and its ability to monetize itself are, is the reputation that wrestling business people have with general business partners, you know, non-wrestling business partners like TV networks. And uh, I, th I think to have to have this be the response and like these are the, these are the people who are going to go talk to TV networks and try to get on them, right? Like, doesn't that hurt uh, a, a hypothetical better actor in, in the wrestling industry who tries to get a TV deal I think, after this? I think if I am half a dozen people in this industry, I say I would never like to be pictured alongside these Harris brothers. 
<laughs> you know, saying like, please do not take a photograph of me and these guys together right now. I don't want the the uh, headline and variety to say uh, so and so booked television project with former Nazis. You know, that, that's not going to go over well. So I think there's a lot of people who will be scared off by this faster. And I'm sure he's, you know, he, I'm sure he's heard this before over the last 10 years. I don't think this is news to him. He's just responding to it in a way that says you do not have a PR or corporate communications department that understands how things work. And for a media company, you are terrible at this. The fact that a Bex, you know, you a podcast can figure out a more eloquent response to this in 10 seconds than it took you to write out post and try to get for your $10 million company valuation. Well, to me, as a reader of this response, it just tells me that, well, maybe this person doesn't have a, a really great sense of, you know, what the ethics are that they should be behaving with in, the, in this industry. Well, maybe they have a great sense because they're able to rationalize anything for the good of themselves. Only for themselves. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think they have the right. But it, but really, for this business, is this this isn't good for this business. It's going to hurt this business. I, and this business may not may never get off the ground. No, no, I don't think it's good for his. Um, I, I mean, if you're asking, do I think that ethicless promoters have have <laughs> yeah. thrived in wrestling? Amoral, yeah. Amoral whatever, yeah. or or. Most of them have. I think most of them who have been successful have been amoral to some extent. Yeah, and so I'm saying I I don't think it's wrong in that sense, but I think it's wrong if you're trying to say my brand is this. By the way, I completely excuse this. I think it's wrong to pretend I've got a brand that's built on core values, and when I say core values, I really mean a combination of self help books, business MBA books, and obviously, you know, I'm guessing one of these guys is a mentor. He's got some kind of business mentor. And he went to one of these, you know, env- envisioning your vision, um, strategy and and mon- monetization strategies in commercialization of your idea. And it's like I think we should come up with our own core values, but we won't call them core values. Yeah. We'll just call them memes. But it's like you know, it's it's like the chapters of an MBA speech that you're paying ten thousand dollars to go see someone. You know, go you pay a thousand dollars and you go see Donald Trump Jr. speak, and he tells you the secrets to success. It feels like one of those kind of things where it's saying, here's your big pillars that you need to do. You need to be the customer. You need to visualize success. You need to actualize every day the opportunity management potential, you know, all that kind of crap. Um, I just watched the best of the worst uh, from Red Letter Media, and they had a guy who gave a whole speech on customerization. And it was just the most bizarre, bizarre, like gibberish speech I've ever seen someone give of a buzzword laden speech where he's trying to speak about all industries, but he's making no sense in any of them. He's just like, hit the tuna button. You hit the tuna button, you give them tuna. And it's like, that, that doesn't mean anything, sir. But it was just that kind of like crazy speech. And so I hear that when I'm reading through this. So to me, there's lots of red flags because you're trying to meld different worlds and you're trying to slide into an industry that is just, like you say, immoral, but then you're trying to pretend that you have a morality against it. And I don't think – It's not inherently amoral, by the way. It just so happens that I, I guess when you're talking about economic success, morals may, might get in the way of that. Um, but you can choose who's the face of your company, who invests in your company, and who's going to succeed. And so he's clearly choosing that he wants to stand with his friends. Um, and I think everyone has the right to vote with their dollars. And if I could rant about this notion that like all good heat, all heat is good heat. Like I think maybe that's 
that's one of, if not the central problems, I think, in wrestling culture is that promoters, performers, bookers, creative people f- feel that they can do anything in an angle and say, oh, it just it got people talking, see? And then you just wash it over and totally justify it. And but, but what really happens is people get disgusted with it or they get turned off by it or TV advertisers want less to do with it or will pay less for it or TV networks want less to do with it or are less likely to put wrestling programming on their television. Um, and I think wrestling could be in a much more respectable and uh, richer place economically even. We didn't have this this stupid idea that uh, you, you can you can get away with anything and it's all really good heat, you know. I mean, ask Hulk Hogan whether whether he's well, good heat. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad you brought him up because that's exactly where my mind was going. Because there's rumors now that, that WWE is negotiating with him again, and essentially what they are is WWE wants to know whether sponsors will be angry or not. They they need to know whether they're going to get the fabulous moolah treatment. And that's what it really comes down to is WWE as a company has the t- risk tolerance to bring Hogan back. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind about that. What they don't have is the business tolerance to get lambasted on uh, uh, business partners about it. And so the- they, they have the – I think that we should put it this way. is like they have the moral tolerance to bring back Hulk Hogan. They have the moral tolerance to name a battle royal after the fabulous moolah. Yeah. But the only reason why they wouldn't do those things is because there will be economic uh, reasons. Well, and also, to not do those things. And, and I think there's also different levels. I think that they are going to be more loyal to Hulk Hogan if, than they are to Fabulous Moolah. Like, Moolah, that was a Vince thing. I don't think anybody else gave a crap. With Hogan, I think that they see money and a value in what they can do with him, and they see a value of the brand, and he has an enormous cachet in the television industry. Now, the cross of that is that there's a younger generation and a different generation and, and an older generation that are disgusted by the statements that he had and don't feel that he should be allowed to be put back in the fold because he he has you know kind of come out of all of this and that it is boiled over. And as much as he has apologized for it, they, they haven't decided basically whether he served his penance. And I think at least some of his apologies – Indicate to me that he doesn't really get it. Like a lot of his apologies are are what we just talked about with the, with the Harris twins. Is like, oh look, hey, they they have they have black friends. It's all cool. Yeah, you know. And so so to me though, it's going to come down to WWE deciding whether or not that they are going to pay an economic sanction to take him on in the 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 cachet they have with the with the business community. And I think Hogan and and Mula, it's different because I don't think Mula is worth a cent in the television industry, but I do think Hogan is because. He, you know, he he drove a lot of these TV deals over the years. Uh, but is he worth more than his his cost? We don't know. We point. don't know. But I just mean from them, they see a value to it. Like you know, there are people who will say, "I'm going to go to the Hall of Fame because Hulk Hogan's there." He is still a draw, internationally and nationally, in a lot of ways, for sure. There's no doubt about that. And that he, you know, when he dies, his story will be in the New York Times. He he's a big deal culturally in the history of professional wrestling. And it is tough to be the biggest company in the world and be on the outs with him. Uh, if he's out there in the media, because it does kind of raise that weird situation. And so I think he's going to be back within probably the next 12 months here. 
Uh, I really do. I think he's I think he's served his time in the cold and people are going to now be OK with bringing him back. And there's a lot of celebrities who have done terrible things um, and have been forgiven for them over time. Uh, I don't think, you know, he's an OJ level type person where you could say, oh, this is this is an unforgivable thing and way you've reacted to this. I think, you know, I, I, I can never believe, you know, how much tolerance there is for Mike Tyson, you know, and yeah, Donald exactly, Trump. Exactly what I was going to say. People, I mean, so. Mike, Mike Tyson, Steve Austin. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's why I say I think the company will take the calculated risk as soon as they think that they can have business partners who will also say the president who is elected not by popular vote, but by electoral college, you know, what what that we're willing to take this risk. And I think that's coming up soon. So I, I do think we'll see Hogan back sooner than later. Do you think he'll be back before the end of the year? Probably and probably under the uh, the vehicle of some sort of charitable, you know, oh, we're going to raise awareness about being nice to people of different races or something like that. Don't, don't you think is it like that's how he, he, he can't just come back and be like, I'm here to do an angle. Forget about all the all all the uh, the, the racial words I said, but it's going to be like well, I'm going to help people learn from their mistakes or something like that. I mean, they're already seeding the putting the seeds out there with the Andre the Giant documentary. He's going to probably be doing a lot of media for that, where he's going to talk about you know the Andre I knew. I'm Andre the Giant, and then maybe in some of those interviews they're going to say, "What do you have to say about that that situation there?" And mm-hmm. in some ways, I think he's going to portray himself as a victim. You know, say, you know, I didn't know I was being recorded. And I think it's terrible that this this company, you know, defied journalistic standards and, you know, forced me to have to sue them in order to to react in the right way and, and try to almost portray himself as the, the, the victim, you know. And I think that's where it's going to go. And then I think he's going to say I, – I think a lot of, a lot of the, the issue here, like I think a lot of reason why people will be sympathetic, like fans or audiences will be sympathetic to him coming back is because I think people – there's a uh, – I think there's a a, a a a a real experience that a lot of people, other, other people have. I think people will empathize with Hogan in the sense that, like, oh, I, I've said lots of you know racial epithets in, in in conversations that were private, and it would make me feel bad if I was recorded it and then outed. I think there's a lot, of, especially white people who who have who have done that or have said things that they were they said in private that they would never want anybody to hear them say publicly, and they they empathize with Hogan because of that. Yeah. And I think it goes to the idea of a nostalgia that he, he so, so it's not about, he, it's not about racial equality or fairness or being decent to people, regardless of who they are, what they look like, where they came from. But it's about like, I don't want to get caught either. Yeah. And, that, and I think he, he represents nostalgia for a lot of people. And so it's a connection to something that makes them feel good. And there's this inherent belief that a lot of celebrities are terrible people. And that we always choose to ignore that and we think about the parts of them that we like and that – Hey, everybody's bad. You know, athletes – I mean there's a lot of athletes that have DUIs and, and and other charges against them and we just kind of say, oh, well, they're good athletes. So mm-hmm. we, we care a lot about mm-hmm. that. And so I, I – I mean one of the Usos just I – don't, I don't know which one. I forget. But one of the Usos just got a DUI and there's some good questions to raise about, well – the W has no policy on that, and where does that fall in the hierarchy of bad acts? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any, anyway, yeah, I'm um, Jeff Hardy, same deal. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, and that's that's just how we stand today. So I, I think a lot of people have rationalized in their own mind why it does not make them incapable of accepting him to return. I don't think the company, the company has certainly shown a tolerance for this, you know, 
And for them, you know, Vince always wants what he can't have. So that's the other element. And and for better or for worse, it is instructively connected to them. I mean, Arrow Luch is a new company, and that's why I think it's so frustrating about it is because we're all saying you don't have to put the Harris brothers on your thing. Um, maybe it's worse if it comes out secretly later. But I think personally, I would just put it as, you know, you, you're starting off by branding yourself this direction, and that's your own choice. WWE has been branded with Hulk Hogan since the 80s. That is who they are. Even to this day, people will say to me, I don't know any wrestlers except for John Cena, The Rock, and Hulk Hogan. Right. Because before WF before Hulk Hogan wasn't nationally recognized. It wasn't as nationally recognized and certainly wasn't as globally recognized. Yeah, I mean, if you were from the Northeast, I'm sure you knew who Pedro Morales or Bruno San Martino were. Uh, but if you weren't, then there's a good chance you never saw those guys. And you know what? Those guys weren't always big. And you may have recognized the promotion and the promotion stars, but as far as the brand and the name of the brand being something that was recognized, WWF coming into everybody's, you know, being a household term. Yeah, I do agree. You know, that's part of the, the draw of this Andre the Giant thing is you could say he was Vince McMahon Sr.'s man that he controlled in a lot of ways. And so Andre was a representation of, of kind of WWF in some ways. But anyhow, um, that's all that about Aero Lucha, which, again, I think it's much more into the ethics of of kind of wrestling than it does about the uh, the the value of it. But I, at the same time, I'd be like, all you people, you're given 100 bucks. What are you getting 100 bucks for? If you if you just feel like you're helping another promotion out, then great, because you know what? There's tons of promotions that have a lot less transparency than this that you're giving money to. And, you know, that's up to you to decide how you deal with that. Uh, but. I'm I am not shocked that this is off to a slow start, and I'm hilariously uh, think it's I think it's fascinating the fact that fifty thousand dollars mysteriously showed up just so they could hit their minimum amount. So I think it said something on here like you have to hit fifty thousand dollar minimum, and so it helps a lot if somebody comes in at the last second and gives you fifty k. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a uh, interesting model. I think it just goes to say that if you don't have a path to market that makes sense for revenue generation, it's a huge question mark about what exactly you're investing in beyond just basically giving them capital. I mean, that that's really what it should say. $100, this is goodwill capital to keep, so that we don't have to raise all this money ourselves yeah. and lose it like we have lost the thousands. We, we the could thousands go on and on about this. Like there's, there's so many problems in wrestling where like, there's there's the money mark. We're the word, well, we're talking about like the word capital, but like there's there's I believe there's different kinds of capital in wrestling and surely beyond wrestling. Like there's social capital, there's actual like financial capital. But I think there's a lot of social capital and there's a lot of social connections in, in with the Harris brothers. I sense just because they've been involved with TNA for so long and Jeff Jarrett, they've they've got some power right to do some things in wrestling as far as start a promotion or start a TV show. And uh, I mean, just imagine if 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 all this social capital in wrestling was distributed to people who wanted to do business in a more honest way and had a more forward-thinking vision of what pro wrestling could be. But I, I, I think I, it speaks to the national marketplace, which if you've ever been there, you'll you'll see how the industry – because they have the country music industry. They have a music industry. They have publishing going on there. And you know the fact that he keeps pointing out they're Christians, they're Christians, they're Christians. There is a lot of capital in that marketplace given to the idea of like if you're a good Christian person, we will overlook other faults, especially if they're in your past. 
because you've been able to Even if you're not being honest about them right now well but it's, it's the idea of like you know everyone is is flawed and so this is a person and look we're part of the same community here and you're trustworthy because you're part of my community and you speak my language and i feel like that has a lot of capital in nashville that it doesn't in other cities of the world but, but they're not really being honest about what their faults are well we don't know we didn't ask them we heard from another guy so mm. i mean part of it is that yeah. jason jason brown is a, is a is a terrible ceo to speak this way about these people. <laughs> but but they still kept the SS imagery after the biker gimmick, as we talked about. That is, you know, I, I think the fact that the fact that fans have to be the ones that do all the research here is just so frustrating because there is that element where I think WWE would have dropped them in a hot second if the New York Times had asked them in 1998, why do you have two bikers who have SS gimmicks on their arms? And they would say, well, they're independent contractors. And they're saying, so you're okay with Nazis on television? And they'd say, you know what? We just did a racially motivated angle at our um, – when they did uh, like the the gang wars pay-per-view. Yeah. And so you know what? The Attitude Era, WWF might not have cared at the time to be honest because they, they were all – they were Vince Russo and people all about pushing that button. And, you know, wasn't so many yeah, years removed them, before we had Booker T and Triple H for all we know. So, yeah, they might have doubled down. Yeah, hard to say. But it's it's I just think it's it's an example of a company shooting itself in its foot and then pretending like they they aced it. You know, it, it does remind me a little bit of the, the Triple H and Booker T thing is another thing that people say, oh, it, it would have been OK if, if Triple H lost. I don't think so. We can argue about that another time. But, yeah. yeah. And, and I just think, you know, it's been a. I, they're a company that's trying to start themselves up, and it reminds me of when I read accounts of like the press of the Trump White House where they'll say, didn't I handle this terrifically? And you're thinking, no, you didn't, but you're listening to voices that told you you did. And so yeah. you end up with a skewed vision. So you know, I'm sure to them I'm just a hater out there that, that doesn't respect um, you know, that they have a, a people with incredible history – and and um, interest in the Hispanic An incredible culture. history of holding back the pro wrestling industry to keep it at at the low amoral level that it's at. Well, but I mean, like they have like Conan <laughs> and people who like I'd be like, yeah, he does know know, know a lot about lucha libre. I also think he's made a lot mm-hmm. of dumb mistakes in his life, and I think he is mm-hmm. has alienated a lot of people that could have worked with him. Yeah, and he himself has you know all the weird things that have happened in his life. And you can question whether or not, you know, he's always been forthright. You know, he's a worker among workers. He's a guy who got a, he got a kidney out of somebody. You know, he's a, he's quite a piece of work. So it's very interesting to me that uh, uh, a guy like that has is part of their, their whole infrastructure here. And, you know, they're choosing to fund it. And everyone's up to them if they want to give them the money. I just think they're off to a bad start. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a patron. It's uh, patreon.com slash russellnomics. And uh, what we do every week is we do extra stuff. We talk about other issues that we don't get to on the main show here. And so this week we got a lot of them. We got uh, stuff about who from the WWE just joined the UFC. We're going to talk about the new streaming services that are out there. We have some audience questions that came in that um, I, I think have some interesting things about, you know, uh, did Daniel Bryan have an impact on business? Uh, what, what did I learn when I watched a bunch of WCD, WCW Thunder this week? And uh, what's happening with XFL? Did you watch a lot of WCW Thunder? I did watch some episodes this week, yeah. Um, we'll talk about that. Um, we'll talk more about WWE in Saudi Arabia and the Mixed Match Challenge and uh, just, you know, other people that are coming back to the business and whether they're going to matter. And and some yeah. of the international spotlight about what's happening here. But you've been listening to WrestleMonics yeah. Radio. 
Yeah, I think this Saudi Arabia issue that we're going to talk on the Patreon, I think this is a, this is a big deal and uh, should be getting more attention than it's getting. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And uh, just want to remind you, this episode of WrestleNomics Radio is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club is one of the absolute best ways for you to be able to go out there and get quality blades at an incredible price delivered all the way to you to get everything you need to look, feel, and smell your very best. And it's more than just razors. It's better than shopping in a store. And you yourself can sign up at dollarshaveclub.com slash W-E, dollarshaveclub.com slash W-E, because you're a WrestleNomic executive, W-E. Mm-hmm. And just five bucks, you get free shipping. You'll get the six-blade executive razor, trial sizes of the shave butter, body cleanser, and one-wipe Charlie's. I got to tell you, that Dr. Carver shave butter, I greatly endorse it. Uh, plugs. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Mukigana, or you can email me at uh, WrestleNomics at gmail.com. That goes to both Brandon and I. And uh, we're going to talk even some more on the um, Patreon show, which is the thing we offer you to sponsor, uh, where we're going to talk more about um, the trade secret thing with Lucha Underground that we talked about last week. We got some really good feedback on that from an attorney, and I hope to kind of share some of the more insight on that. Uh, so sign up for our Patreon. It's only $5 a month, and you're able to get access to all the historical archives, plus all the conversations we're having every week. We talk for at least an hour every week on, on bonus content, plus you get all the notes that we do, which is really helpful, because read the notes, you'll know the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can follow my, my various existential crises on Twitter at Brandon Thurston. And uh, there's always something I'm supposed to plug, I forget, though. But, uh, yeah. We're gonna we talk about uh, an, another hour or more every week for the patrons only five dollars a month. That's less than what I don't know. What's the math? What if you divide five by like four point three per week? What does that come out to? You? Very little. Very very little. Very, very very little. Very little. It'll it'll help me with my midlife crisis too. So, anyways, cool. Uh, <laughs> talk to you guys soon. Bye bye. Okay bye. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.